Welcome to the One Life, One Chance podcast. I'm your host, Toby Morris. Today, I have a very, very special guest. Uh, I met this man when I was probably 17 years old. We've been friends ever since. Um, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, Mr. Arthur Smilios. Hey. <laughs> wow, Toby. Wow, Toby, we've known each other 32 years. It's crazy. I, wonder, I, was, I was thinking about that today. I'm like, I'm pretty much sure I met you um, in 1987. 87. Yeah, when you guys played the When Marvel. we played in Baltimore. Yes, with uh, Rollins Band. Yeah, what, what club? Do you remember the name of the club? Yeah, it was the Marble Bar. How do you remember that? Because it had the flyer still. Um, <laughs> do you really? Yeah, dude. So that's when I met you guys. I was a massive fan of Token Entry, and then we became kind of like pen pals after that. Before I moved to New York. That's right. Um, that's right. That's right. Before the internet. Do you remember? Do you remember when we met Rollins that day? No. Dude, he was terrifying. Was he? Oh my god! And I, I, I met Ian that day. Ian was at that show. Oh shit. Ian McKay was at that show, and Rollins, and I remember Rollins telling us he liked us, and I was 18, and I was terrified because he was just so intense, Damn. and he was like, he was looking right in the eye and saying, I really like this part of the song, and he was like punching his, he was punching his open hand, his palm, and I just, and you know me, I'm a big tough guy, yeah. so, you know, I was like, <laughs> you, you, you and I both were like really dangerous guys, Yeah. so uh, I just remember just being so intimidated, but then Ian was there. And uh, he had grown out his hair. I remember that he had, curly like, hair. Really, yeah. He had that really curly hair. And I just went up. He was really nice. I remember that because I went up and I was just, you know, obviously did, did, did the fanboy thing with him. Yeah. But uh, yeah. And then I, remember, I think you spoke to Timmy Chunks first, right? Probably. Yeah. Because that's what I ended up living with. But yeah, met him that you guys, I have like group pictures of us standing outside of the show. You have, you have pictures from that show. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. God, Before I bet we were, we, were, we were wearing really cool things, right? You were wearing some crazy high top, like um, Converse and high socks, and uh, <laughs> everybody wore like those painter's caps back then. Um, I was, oh my God, it's so funny. Whenever people post old pictures of us, I just think to myself, yep, there's proof. There's proof. <laughs> like, I, they're like with the puka shells. Oh, the puka yeah. Shells and, oh my God, the painter's caps, the puka shells, and then the crazy ass sneakers. Remember the remember the orange spot belts that we used to wear, token entry used to wear? I think so, yeah. What were those? They were spot belts. They were orange high top spot belts. And we got them, I think, at uh the hell was the name of the place on Steinway. They were really cheap. Like Army Navy store or something, were, right? Yeah, it was it was like a Models or something. I don't know if it was an yeah. actual actually it might have been Models before when Models was like a real small local store. Yeah. It was just a New York store. Yeah, but all the token entry we all wore those. I remember. So, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so I met you guys, became pen pals. You know, it was way before the internet, and um, and then ended up moving to New York in '88 to live with Timmy Chunks. Um, and that was an experience in itself, like leaving where I was living, coming to a major city. Um, and then I was living with Timmy Chunks for maybe a couple months, and then he's like, "Oh, you know, my landlord said you can't live in no more. You gotta leave." And then at that point, I think you had been, I think you were leaving Token Entry to be in GB. I think there was a transition period. I'm not sure. Yeah, that. Was that, that would be October, because I I got uh, I got kicked out of Token Entry in October, and then like a week later on, uh, it was '87. Uh, it was um, it was a Halloween show at um, at Irving on Halloween in '87. It was uh, Murphy's Law and Underdog was opening, and Richie had just gotten back in Underdog. Yeah, and uh, I was a huge fan of uh, I was a huge fan of that band and a Great huge band. fan of Richie. Yeah, and I st I'm still a huge fan of Richie, but. Uh, I remember I went to that show and Russ and Richie pulled me over after that, the side, and they were like, "Hey, you know, we're here tonight. Token Entry. Do you want to audition for Underdog?" 
and I did, and then I got I got an underdog head, which was like I remember I was like kind of shaking because because I knew Russ. Russ was like one of the first people I met because he used to come down to the pyramids and skate. Oh wow! So I was always really yeah, I was totally cool with Russell. Yeah. And um and then uh, but Richie I kind of didn't really know and uh, I just like idolized him. Yeah. After this after the spot belts, I bought a pair of Vans and. Uh, <laughs> I did because there were there were the, the vans that Richie wore. I've told him all this too yeah, in, yeah. In, in, in the ensuing years. But uh, yeah, I remember being intimidated, and I was like, "Man, I thought you hated me, Richie's. Why would I hate you? Whatever." And so then I, I was in GB and underdog, right, right, right. So how, so how long were you an underdog for? Uh, only about a year. Yeah, I was. I, my last underdog show was at CB's with Bad Religion, and this is how weird things were back then. We headlined. Because yeah. at that time, that was those those summers of 86, 87, 88, when New York bands were just the top draw, no matter what. Like Underdog, we went on tour that, that summer in 88 with just the Southern Zero. Wow. And then we ended up, yeah, and then my last show was that, was that show at CBGB with Bad Religion. And it's funny because the CBGB book, there's a picture, there's a picture of, of that show of me, of me uh, playing guitar and silly little instrument. <laughs> yeah, a little. Yeah, yeah. I played. I played that ridiculous little instrument in a couple of bands, but it's cool. It's a picture of uh, of underdog, and and um, I'm jumping in the air. And Walter had a broken leg, oh, so he had he's standing behind my amp with crutches because that's when he, he broke his leg on the Youth of Today tour, like trying to trying to drop into a half pipe or oh, something. Gee, yeah, I remember that story. Yeah, yeah. And Luke played bass for the rest of that tour, so Walter came home. So sitting in front of my amp is Anthony Caminale. And standing behind my amp is uh, Joe Sonko, Siv, and Walter with crutches. Damn. Yeah. And, and that picture's awesome. in the CBGB book, which kind of got me psyched. Yeah. That's... I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. They didn't, from the hardcore bands, they put that picture in. Yeah. That's awesome. So, and then, so obviously after Underdog, then it was GB, correct? Then it was just, yeah, just GB. Yeah. I mean, there were other things too, like uh, Warzone for a little while. That's right. So then I still went for Warzone in 87. Uh, I played, yeah, I played guitar in that band too because Walter played bass. Yeah, and uh, and that's how Luke got in the band because uh, the drummer didn't show up. I forgot who was drumming. We went to rehearse at Two Casa Studios on Avenue B. Yeah, which uh, in 1987, going to Avenue B was kind of sketchy, kind of an adventure. Yeah, yeah, it was a little bit of an adventure. And I remember just walking there, Walter and me. Walter, I think Walter still had braces, and you know, between the two of us, we weighed like. 130 pounds and we're walking with these <laughs> massive fender those big black fender this is before gig bags so those big black fender cases that yeah. weighed a ton and we yeah. go to and we go to tukasa it was i think on like 12th and b or something and then luke luke just happened to be there and he sat in and he ended up staying in longest. i only did a few shows and then walter stayed for a little while longer yeah and uh yeah because i was in oh wait no that was before that I was still in token entry. That's right. That's right. I was still in token entry when I filled in for Warzone. It was okay. the spring of '87. Yeah, 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 yeah. Damn. And then, yeah, then I was doing Warzone and GB, and then after that, I was just doing GB and filling in for Killing Time. Oh, that's right. Damn, was, so many bands, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was filling in for Killing Time in, in like '88. That's right, because I was playing. Because Rich moved over to guitar, and I think what yeah what had happened was Mike Sinkowitz left, and Rich moved over to guitar with Carl. So they needed a bass player. So I was playing bass with, uh, I was playing bass with Killing Time. Wow. Yeah. Man. Yeah. One of them. <laughs> oh my God. I think, I think that was the song. I think it was, when we played in, um, 
I think that was the show where we were in. Uh, I don't know if you were there. We we played in Easton or Bethlehem. Yeah. And it was like it had become like a total white power scene. Yes. And just like Unisound. were you there for that? Unisound, yeah. Coming Unity, the Unisound Club Ultrasound. I Do you club. remember Anthony Cominami picking up the table and yeah. slamming it down? Hundred percent. Yes, I remember. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Because it, it all started because I, I, if I remember correctly, they picked on Howie. Yes. And they were like saying anti-Semitic shit, and yeah. I got in somebody's face, which was hilarious. I remember because that. it was I like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got in somebody's face, and then I'm thinking to myself, man, I better like keep up this posturing because if this guy hits me, he's gonna break me into sixteen pieces. But then I remember coming on, slamming the table down. Scrum was there too, right? Scrum was there, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. I remember that. Man. Wait, what? Oh, that was the that that sucked because that scene was like the best scene. Remember? Really great shows, like, there, man. Yeah, remember the girls that put on the shows, Jenny, Jenny and Mary. Yeah, and there was like a half pipe there, and it was like good vibes. The promoter was super cool, and he's wise. Yeah, and didn't you have to go through like a, a furniture store to get there or something? Maybe it sounds right. I think you have to. I think you have to go through. It was upstairs. I think you have to go through a furniture store. Jesus. And then and then and then go upstairs to it, if I remember correctly. That Jesus sounds like Christ. something to be a show at for sure back then. Yeah, <laughs> but but I remember after you smashed that table down, it got really quiet. It was crazy. I remember that was like, yeah, it got quiet when Anthony was slamming the table because he was just so terrifying. Yeah, he just like all the all the Jackson Heights came out in him, just, <laughs> scre- just screaming like an angry bear. Yeah, I remember. So oh my God. So, so how did you? Let's go back a little bit. How did you actually? Obviously, you were born in Queens. Um, did you go to school with any of these guys? Like, how did you meet everyone back then when you were so young? Um, all right. So the way the way it happened was, so I was born in Jackson Heights, and I was raised between Jackson Heights with my mom and then Astoria with my dad. Yeah. So uh, I hadn't gone to Astoria in years. So I okay. So basically, rewind. When I was a kid, I knew Johnny Steigerwald and Ernie yep. Parada of Token Entry. I knew them because. So the way it was, I lived on 36th Street. My, my grandparents, my dad lived on 36th Street in Astoria. And each block had its alleyway. Yeah. So the block on, on which I lived had a lot of kids. Yeah. So I used to love to go there. So we used to hang out in the alleyway. And now we're talking, I mean, I must have been like 10 years old. Yeah. And 10 or 11 years old. And I remember Johnny and Ernie came up. Because Johnny and Ernie were from 30, uh, they were from 35th Street. They were from the street over. Okay. And they came up our alleyway, and they were wearing cloth denim jackets with Ramones painted on the back that I guess Ernie had done because Ernie was always an artist. Yeah. And I remember they were sitting at the top of the alleyway in the summertime listening to the Ramones. And I remember, awesome. distinctly remember hearing Blitz, Blitz Creek Bop and just being, you know, thinking to myself, what is this? What, what is this? And being kind of scared of them yeah. because, they, I mean, they, they were like, the way they looked was really different from my alleyway. But yeah. I knew them from then, and then I didn't see my dad for a few years because, you know, broken families, whatever happens. Yeah. But then when I was 15, my dad uh, my dad got sober, and then he got in touch with us, and we went and we spent the summer when I turned 15 to 16 in in Astoria. We stayed with him, okay. and that's when I saw And by then, I, had, I was playing guitar and bass and everything, and uh, I ran into Johnny and Ernie again, and they were like, you know, Gilligan's Revenge is already over. Yeah, and they were and Token Entry had just started up, and uh, you know I just started. Ernie, Ernie's really, you know, he's really, really uh, gregarious and friendly, and and, um, and he was just, you know, he wanted to hang out. And yeah. I remember it's so funny because I just saw Johnny Steigerwald a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about this, and they came over my house, 
and uh, Johnny and Ernie were amazed that I had an actual Fender jazz bass, <laughs> that I had a real a real Fender bass. Yeah, yeah, Johnny, Johnny and I were just talking about this. Awesome. And um, yeah, I love Johnny. Johnny's just one of the best people ever. And uh, so we started hanging out, and I kind of just became like a, a, a tag along with Token Entry. And um, then my first job was at Walbaum's, which is the supermarket yeah, down the block. Well, I remember yeah, it was between yeah. yeah between 20th and 19th Avenues in, in, in Astoria. And I met Walter there because I went in for my first my first day at work. And then he said, oh, Wally's going to train you. You can find him. I said, I don't know who Wally is. And they started laughing. So he looks just like you. So I start walking down the aisles in this massive supermarket in Queens. Yeah. And I see this, I see this kid walking down one aisle from the back. He had like he had high top New Balance that weren't tied, really cu- like heavily cuffed Levi's. Yeah. And a crew cut, right? And I said, Hey, Wally, and he turned around and then he turned around and smiled, and all I saw were silver. He just had a mouthful of braces. <laughs> and he, yeah, and he said, You're the new guy. Yeah, I'm just gonna train you. So I him training me. And then he just asked, I remember him asking me, well, you know, what kind of music do you like? And yeah. uh, I told him, and he asked me, do you ever, do you ever go to CBGB? I said, yeah, we go every Sunday. And he asked Sick. if he can come with us. Yeah, yeah. He said, and he asked if he can come with us. And then, you know, from that moment on, Walter and I were, were pretty much inseparable. But he was really into cool music. Like Walter, because yeah. he, he, he was in, he always was into like the newest things and always showed me really cool bands. Like Walter's the one who showed me. The replacements, for example. Yeah. And I mean, even to, even to this day, like we were in California two weeks ago, and we're in like we're in the in the um in the RV because we got around with an RV. Yeah. And uh, and Walter was the DJ. And he was just playing all this really cool music, and it just made me laugh that like I've known Walter thirty four years, and uh, and he's still showing me music. And yeah, that's but, cool, um, man. Yeah. But the funny thing is that I went to high school with Siv, but I didn't know him. I didn't meet oh, wow. Siv. Until Walter met him. Okay. So Walter and I were like really inseparable, and he lived in Astoria too. So we were together every day. He went to LIC High School. I went to Atlanta, but we would meet after school and skate around and just hang out with all the Astoria punks and whatnot. And then I forgot exactly how Walter met Siv, yeah. but that's what, and I was like, wait, we go to the same high school. And Siv, I don't know if you remember this, but you know, this was a few years ago. I <laughs> I remember asking him. Dude, how how did we go to the same high school and we never knew each other? He was, he was, uh, you took all the smart person classes and I took all the idiot classes. <laughs> Which is really funny because Siv is like one of the smartest people I know. Oh but he gosh. just yeah, not he didn't he didn't care too much for high school. But um so that's how I met those guys. But um and how were yeah. you how were you in high school? How was I? Oh yeah. my god. Jeez, I, I used to take abuse. Okay, so my high school was an all boys Catholic high school. Oh wow. Um, I'm not Catholic, but whatever, it doesn't matter. So it was an all boys Catholic high school, and there were one. Okay, so in my junior year, there were there was Ernie, Danny Zick, Gus Pena. There were five five punks out of a thousand kids. Damn. Yeah, Ernie Parada, and he was a year older than me. Danny Zick and Gus Pena, who were a year younger than me. Um, Six. This other kid whose name was oh my god, I forgot his name. And Siv. So there were six out of a thousand kids. Yeah. And yeah, and I was like, you know, dude, I'm not. I was never intimidating. And and, and back then I wasn't as as uh, I wasn't as uh, outgoing and social. So I was more. Yeah. I was more quiet. Yeah. So all the metal kids and all like the rockaway trash kids would always 
like make fun of me and always pick fights with me. Damn. So high, yeah, high school was kind of hell. But I remember two things that were amazing. One was uh, Anthony Caminale came to pick me up one day. He had a uh, he had a um, he had a brown Trans Am, Sick. and he shows up. Yeah, he shows up. I I walk out of high school and he's parked in front of my school in Jackson Heights and he's like just leaning with his legs crossed against his arms crossed in front of him and his legs crossed as he's leaning against the hood of his car and he's wearing uh, like 14 hole red Doc Martens, cuffed Levi's, Sick. I think a matching red sweater and a, a black leather jacket with token entry painted on the back. And uh, I think he had he had his hair soap spiked and he had a do-rag on too. So he looked like a maniac. Yeah, he looked like a maniac. And Anthony was, you know, just standing there. And, he's, and I walk up and then, like, nobody, nobody fucked with me that day. That's awesome. That's like, yeah, an, 80s, that's yeah. like an 80s movie, man. It's straight out of a movie. It's straight out of an 80s movie. It really is. And the funny thing is that I could see it in my, in my, in my mind's eye right now. I could see yeah. Anthony coming out. Yeah. And I just remember being, I was psyched for two reasons. I was psyched, first of all, that I loved Anthony. You know, yeah. Anthony was like the, he was like the professor. Yeah. yeah, I always say Anthony Caminale's punk rock Once you came around, and Anthony, Anthony's like one of the most generous people I know. Whether it's like giving you clothing, giving you money, or yeah. giving you like lessons, and so I was just really psyched that this this guy I looked up to was coming to pick me up at school. But it was also just kind of cool that all of a sudden all these you know pseudo tough guys suddenly were so tough. You know, I love that man. And how much older was yeah. he? Anthony's just a year. Oh, okay. he, was, he was a year. He was in. He was in I think that's why he was out early. Yeah. Because it was his senior year. And then uh funny thing happened though, like when I became a senior at Clancy, all the kids that used to pick on me either graduate, either um, got thrown out of the school. Yeah. Or they grew up and they and senior year I had the time of my life. That's awesome. it, was, it was it was yeah, it was really, really great. It was like I did I did all the I did all the penance beforehand in junior year and suffered and whatnot. But uh you know, I mean just it's funny because like Kids now like punk. The punk style is just so mainstream, I guess, and, and yeah. so acceptable. And I mean, you went through it too. What you you grew up in, in, in freaking Maryland? I bet you took a, I bet you took a freaking abuse. But maybe oh, you, did yeah, you take oh, abuse? Or yeah. you, did you like offset it because you were hilarious? No, dude. I definitely got. I definitely going from Newport, Rhode Island to Southern Maryland was a culture shock for sure. Rebel flags and the segregation and the rednecks and just having like checkered vans or like. I don't know, plaid pants on. I was a freak to these people and there was no skaters there and stuff for sure. I got picked on, called names. But then like, like again, they'd see me drive around Rusty. Rusty had a mohawk and he was like the bigger dude. So Rusty was like our protector out there, you know, like he's like my Rusty's Anthony. Rusty's a tractor too. Exactly. Rusty's like my Anthony, <laughs> my, my Anthony Cominale for you. Um, yeah, the, tra- the, the tra- tractor hijacker, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we got to Oh, for sure. Um, but That's yes. That's another one of those memories like seeing Anthony outside that I'll never like when I'm dying and the movie of my life passes through. That'll yeah. be one of the highlights that I'll know in like complete HD detail. I'll see it. <laughs> the rusty story. Um, I fucking love this. So so you you got you got good grades and you graduated, obviously. What's that? You graduated, right? High school? Yeah. Yeah. You got good grades and did you have any goals? Yeah, like, did I did. You want, would you have a goal or what you wanted to do at that point? Uh, well, I, I I wanted to go to college, so I took AP level classes. So I graduated with twelve college credits. That's awesome. But then I went I went to college and realized I didn't know what I was doing. I had no direction, so I, I just 
took off like a year and a half or two years. Yeah. And I was I was working, and that's when you and I worked. <laughs> oh yeah, my hair's research. Oh, shit, we could get into that. All right. Um, we, I, I want to try something too. Arthur, are you talking on the phone? Can we, can we try something? Because it's being. I don't want to. I don't want to lose. We waited so long to get you on this podcast. And now the sounds going in now. Can I see? Can you put your phone on speakerphone and try to talk to her? Like, can I see how that sounds? Speakerphone. Yeah. Hold on put a second. Speaker. So it's not against your oh, ear. Uh, wait, wait. I might have to get my wife to tell me how to do this because I'm a luddite and I don't know how to operate a phone. Hold <laughs> on. Let me see. Hold on. <laughs> There's so much good content. This. What's this iPhone thing? Hold on. One second. Speaker. Speaker. All right. Can you hear me? Yeah. I think that's that way. That way, you can just. Have it sitting somewhere. Does it, it's not moving. You can just talk into it. That's, that's better. Yeah, way better. Here, say something again. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, I think it's better, Arthur. Okay, let's get into Myers Research Center. Fucking psyched. Um, so basically, I ended up leaving Timmy Chunks' house, and Arthur said I could come live with him and, and his um, dad and his sister and um, in Astoria. And um, I remember they gave me, I don't know if I shared a room. I have my own room there, right, Arthur? You shared a room with me. Okay, I shared <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you shared a room with me because my sister had a bedroom, and then my grandparents had the other bedroom. Yeah, my dad lived in the basement, and then you and you lived in my room with me. What a weird situation! <laughs> now that I'm articulating and now I'm saying it out loud, it's just so weird. It is like, weird. <laughs> fucking weird situation. Yeah, you slept in my in, in my bedroom. Yeah. Floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was small. Remember how small that room was? Yeah, I had my little blanket with a hole and I could peek my eye through it. <laughs> but wait, tell everybody why you did that. Why well, why you <laughs> Well I think you had what did you say the air conditioner was on too? I was freezing. I think you had me freezing in the room on the floor like a fucking ice cube. Um <laughs> and now if I wanted my to yelled at me for that. What happened? My sister yelled at me for that. Oh, she did? Yeah, yeah. When I told her, she's like, "Are you kidding me? That poor kid. You froze him to death in that room." Which is so funny now because now that I've grown, now that I'm an adult, I hate air conditioning more than anything too. in the world. Fucking hate it. I like heat. That's yeah. the thing. It makes me crazy. It's like it just hits sixty degrees in New York, and the subways have air conditioning on already. And my feeling is this: if it's sixty degrees and you need air conditioning, you probably need to go to a doctor because sure. there's something wrong with you. <laughs> there's no reason for it. It's true. So but back then, I, <laughs> I guess I needed a doctor because I put the air conditioning on so high. Yes, yeah, so I was in your room and I was freezing in your room. I don't know why. So I had a hole in the blanket. Tell me about that. I'm trying to figure the story. I peeped my eye through it or something. Or <laughs> I remember this. Um, I remember waking up in the middle of the night and I looked over <laughs> and I just saw you were underneath the <laughs> you were underneath the blanket moving around and it was just like a strange movement. Yeah, and then all the I just saw your head blast through. Okay, so you know, you know, like you know, a baby chick breaks its head through an egg. Totally. That's that's what it was like. You, because I gave you some old, like I think it was an army surplus blanket. It was really threadbare. Yeah. And it was, and it, so it was like easy to rip, and you just pushed your head through it and made it into a poncho, so you, <laughs> you could cover yourself. Oh my god! And I remember dude. laughing, and uh, and you know, I guess I don't know when you're when you're. I don't know. I guess when you're a teenager, you're not as considerate. Like if you, that happened now, I'd feel terrible about yeah. it. Back then, I thought it was funny. Yeah. And that's when I told my sister about it, and she actually chastised me. She was like, "Are you kidding me? This fucking kid is freezing in the room. What's wrong with you? Get, at least get him a good blanket." And oh I think God. I said, to her, "I think I said to her, yeah, it was funny." And she's like, "It's not funny. The kid is freezing." Oh my so. God. So, <laughs> so you got me a job at so Arthur got me a job at Myers Research Center on 40th Street in Manhattan. 
We had to take the bus and the train to work, I think, from from there, right? Yeah. No, no, we just took the train. Okay. We would take the end train. The end train would take us right to uh, Times Square. It was 58 West 40th. So it was 40th yeah. Street between 5th and 6th Avenues. And we were in the annex because there were two offices. There was the main office. Right. And then the office where they – there was the <laughs> <laughs> the office where they put they put the people they wanted to hide. So it was you, <laughs> me, Tom Jazorka was a boss. Yeah. Let's talk about Tom. Remember Tom? He used to smoke. So Tom Jazorka looked like a sheepdog. He had really long hair in front, right. of his, in front of his eyes. And he, he was writing a libretto. He was writing a musical. Okay. And that's, and uh, remember he used to chain smoke? He yeah. used to chain smoke in Tarrytown, Tarrytown 100s. Oh, he my used to, gosh. He never <laughs> He would just drink tons of coffee and chain smoke because you could smoke in offices in 1989. Oh, that's right, dude, you could. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Remember how much smoke? And remember how he would just start singing out of nowhere? Yeah. What happened to this man? I wonder. You know, it's, you know what's really weird? Around 1997, I ran into him um, on Seventh on Seventh Avenue South, no right off Christopher Street. Yeah, yeah. I was walking around with my sister, and uh, it was this, it was when I was in Civ, and I just. He looked exactly the same, except his hair had gotten totally white. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what happened to him. I mean, he was a raging alcoholic, you know. Yeah, I wonder right? if he, I wonder if he ever, his thing ever came to light that he was writing it, but that ever happened. No, because we would have known about it. Yeah. I mean, like if he, it was really sad because that was like his dream. Remember, I remember what he was always writing was the picture of Dorian Gray. He okay. was That was the thing, and I remember when I first started working there, he used to, you know, he used to, he used to send me. He would like. Okay, so this is back in the day when he had to print out individual copies of the book, and then I had to heat seal them. Oh wow! And he would send me up to the Upper West Side to deliver the um, to deliver the books that he made to the man who was writing the music because he was writing the lyrics. Got you. Yeah, and I loved it because I was like, wow, I'm getting paid to go on an errand up to like 78th Street or something. That's awesome. And yeah, 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 yeah. And then so just I remember we got everybody a job. Timmy Chunks had worked there in eight, for the summer of eighty seven with me. Okay. Cause that they, they hired everybody. Yeah, I know. They were just like, okay. I think I think they gave me a title of the inner I was the inner office coordinator. <laughs> and and that basically means I ordered like the staples and the fucking post its and the tape. <laughs> and all, all, all the fucking stupid stuff we had to use. That was my job title. I was so proud. I'm like, oh my God. Um Oh my God. <laughs> Inner office coordinator. You know who else? Okay, so so you worked there. Yeah. I worked there. Timmy Chunks worked there. Um, Allison, Richie's sister, Allison right. worked there. I think Richie's brother, Peter, worked there for a little while. Um, oh, my God. Everybody worked there. And so they what, really did. They hired everybody. And what was what was your job? Like, were you calling people? And what was it like? A, uh... Oh, yeah. So it was a market research firm. So people, I don't know, people are young. They won't even know what this is. So. The, the robocalls that everybody gets now, we used to have to do them live. That's right. And we, we would call companies and just be like, hey, you know, this is – so I remember one of the clients was um, Mannington Floors. So we used to have to do sheet vinyl flooring survey. We would just call these little businesses throughout the country and, and, and have them, you know, answer a survey on sheet vinyl flooring. Oh, my God, another, man. Another client I remember was R.J. Reynolds Tobacco. And mm. I remember that – Everybody that smoked cigarettes in the office, whenever the R.J. Reynolds people were coming, they would, uh, they would, um, they would give everybody Camel cigarettes. And if they smoked Marlboro, they would be like, "You have to hide the Marlboro because Marlboro was Philip Morris." Oh and, wow! 
I know. Can you imagine that now? That's crazy, man. I know. Can you imagine that now? Like, no. oh, it's disgusting. But um, <laughs> but that's what it was. We were the people that had to call up and say, "Hey, would you want to conduct a five-minute survey?" Yeah, it's, that's hard, man. Oh, that was horrible. Then what's but then I, Go ahead. I got promoted from that. Okay. And I was the uh, I was the um, the call room supervisor, which was hilarious. Because what did I really do? I used to sit there and draw. Yeah, so Arthur would draw these amazing pictures. So I had this obsession back then of drawing E.T. having sex with Mr. T or vice versa. <laughs> I would draw these crazy pictures of E.T. And, and Mr. T having sex and doing whatever. And then I found a picture there that Arthur drew of me. It's like an actual real portrait of me sitting with my arms crossed, sitting at the desk. Like an incredible drawing, man, that you did, man. And um, yeah, so that's the time we spent doing that stuff. But the E.T. and Mr. T shit, I don't know where that came from, why but I was obsessed with that. It was totally <laughs> fucked up and sexual insanity, and I don't know, man. That was. <laughs> I remember, I remember. <laughs> I would just ask you to draw things. You were really good. I remember. I asked you. <laughs> I remember. Jesus Christ! I can't believe we're talking about this. I remember uh, asking you to draw <laughs> a, a dick with ET's head on it. <laughs> right. I killed that shit. <laughs> and you made him spitting. He was spitting, mm. like you know. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with us? Do you have any of those pictures, man? Probably not. I don't think I have them. Any. I moved so much in that time. Yeah. I don't think I have anything like that anymore. And if I did, it would have been at my family's house. But we yeah. sold that house. Yeah, we sold that shit six years ago. So I think everything must have gotten just shocked, which sucks because yeah. there were some, some there were some amazing things in there. I'm sure. What about Austin Green? Austin, oh, Austin Wilkinson. Austin Wilkinson, oh my God, man. He he had like the, the cool, did he have a cool shiny Jericho with the chains? He was super. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah, and he was he was a really nice guy. Oh my yes. God, what was his wife's name? Is, 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 oh my God, she used to make the best sweet potato pie. Remember he would bring in sweet potato pies? <laughs> yeah. No, he would make them. He would make them. That's Holy right. It was. Shit. I think it was his mother's recipe. He would make them. They were so freaking good, and I never had sweet potato pie before that. Yeah. He would bring in like three or four at a time, and I would eat like one all all to myself. Holy Connie, shit. Connie, his girlfriend. It was Connie. You are correct. Connie, I'm remembering this. He was a sweet dude, man. Yeah. He was a really, really nice guy. And uh, oh my god, I remember I had to fire him. You did? They made me fire him because what happened was after you left. Oh my god. So that the company hadn't been run too wisely, so they had to get rid of a lot of people. Yeah. And. Because they had lost some clients or something, and they were like, "Okay," because I was the 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 phone room supervisor at that point. Yeah, they were like, "You have to fire Austin," and I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Oh, man. Like, he was so nice though. As I was doing it, I was so nervous, and and he just looks at me, and goes, "I know that they made you do this. I know this isn't you." I'm like, "Yeah, it's definitely not me. I don't have the power to do this." And you think I would? But that was a terrible thing, man. Because that he sucks. was the sweetest. Guy. Do you remember Bruce Brown? Yeah, Bruce Brown, yeah. Yeah. Bruce Brown, Joe. <laughs> I remember these names. It's so crazy. I what these Bruce, people are doing, man. Well, Bruce Brown, Bruce Brown would be like 90 right now. I'm not joking. He yeah, was he was old. He was 56. That's 30 years ago, so he'd be 86 now. Holy um, shit. Well, let's let people know Bruce Brown. So Bruce Brown was an actor. Okay. He was a classically trained stage actor, and he used to speak... He was like one of the last people that spoke a version of, of, of the mid-Atlantic accent yeah. where, you know, the way that 
which used to be really popular amongst educated northeastern people mm -hmm. in the United States. Yeah. And he he was a classically trained stage actor, but he also did he was the DJ. Uh, no, no, he was the MC in the movie Eddie and the Cruisers. Oh wow! So if you, anybody ever sees that movie, when the MC comes out, that's Bruce Brown. Holy shit! I know that. But he did voiceovers. That was his main thing was voiceovers. Okay. And his agent name was Joe. So he would like four times an hour. You would you would hear him in his cubicle because remember they had the cubicles yes. with the uh, with the carpeting on them that made them soundproof supposedly, but they weren't soundproof <laughs> at all. And we'd see him go, Bruce Brown, Joe, Bruce Brown, and that's. <laughs> Because I guess Joe would answer the phone, and then he would say Bruce Brown, and he would and he would be he would be told whether or not he had any uh, any auditions or any calls or any jobs. Wow. But, yeah, he was a character. He lived on Forty Fourth Street, just by the um, the United Nations. I went to his apartment once. Oh wow! It was it was exactly what you would think it would be. It was the most amazing old school New York apartment with books everywhere. Oh wow, that's cool. What if yeah. still around? How many years did you work there for? I worked there. I started working there in, holy shit, 87, late 86. I worked there for three years. Yeah. Yeah, I worked there for three years. No, 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 four years. Because I left in, I left in 90 when I went back to school full time. Okay. I was going to school, I was going to school part time when I went back. And then yeah. in 90, I went, to, I went back to college full time. So I couldn't work there anymore. And that's yeah, that's when I left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what band? What, so in '90, we used you were in GB at that that moment, right? When you were about to '90, I wasn't anything. No, no, I left GB in '89. Okay. I wanted. I was working. and I wanted to go back to school. Okay. And I wasn't really playing any music. Yeah. Um, I was like doing little things here and there that weren't in, in, involved in hardcore or anything. Yeah. Like Anthony Cominali and I did a band called Angry Head. Okay, I remember with, that. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was with uh, Petey Hines played drums. And, uh, oh, my God. Hold on, hold on. What's his name? Uh, nasty Little Man. Um, Steve Martin. Martin. That's just, I couldn't remember his last name. Steve Martin played guitar. Oh, wow. And we did a couple of shows with CBs. It was actually a good band. Yeah. Angry Head. Angry Head was actually a really cool band, but we only did a couple shows, and one of them was at CBs. Oh, that's awesome. And the way, But the, 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 the key to this is the way we got the name Angry Head. That's the key. Let's hear this, it. Well, like most like most brilliant concepts in New York hardcore, it came from the brain of Craig Satari. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> so this is the best story. Oh my God. I asked <laughs> ask Craig about this and he'll tell it so much better. But um so Killing Time played a show. I forgot where. So whenever Killing Time played shows, it was really funny because they would rent a U-Haul truck. Yeah. And they would bring like fifteen to twenty people with them, right? In the back. So we were in we we're in, but at this point, no, we didn't have a U-Haul truck in this show. This was a van. It was okay. a cargo van, and I remember it was winter. It was fucking freezing, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and the show finished. I guess I don't know. It was if it was Boston, Connecticut? I don't know where it was. But it's late at night. We're in this freezing ass van. Anthony Cominali got wasted. He was just like legless drunk, right? <laughs> yeah. We get in the van, and Anthony Cominali lays down in the back and wraps himself in a blanket, right? <laughs> Yeah. So Craig and I are sitting there as as awake as like as awake as Watchmen, right? Yeah. And because uh, it's so goddamn cold and we're miserable, and Anthony's in the back, so we're talking. And now Anthony's getting really, really irate that everybody's talking because I guess you know he's tired from being drunk. Yeah. But it's dark, 
He's wrapped up, and all you could see is his head, right? Yeah. And he's just screaming at him, shut the fuck up, just screaming at everyone, right? <laughs> and Craig looks at me and goes, kid, kid, look at this. <laughs> he goes, look at this. You can't see anything back there. All you could see is his <laughs> All you could see is his angry head yelling at you. <laughs> <laughs> I could totally picture Anthony, man. And he, all you could see is like Anthony's angry, Anthony's head. That's the only thing you could see was like the flesh of his face yelling at you and every you know and so we told him about it and he loved it so we decided that the band was going to be called angry head that's fucking awesome angry head was good i mean think about it like steve martin's a great guitar player right. really good songwriter Pete hines Pete hines was an amazing drummer amazing drummer yeah yeah so that was that and then uh and then after i finished school i uh I, that's when i got really back into it again i guess I was in Handsome That's right. with Petey Hines. That's right. Yeah, yeah, with Petey Hines and Peter. It was funny because this is this is hilarious. So um, I found out that Handsome was auditioning a singer. So I was like, yeah, I can sing. So I went, <laughs> I can't sing. I'm a terrible singer. I can, I can, I'm a terrible singer. Yeah. I can do like backups somewhat, you know, yeah. and, and see what, one of the things I love about being in, in Gorilla Biscuits is I don't have a mic. Yeah, and it's funny awesome. whenever when we do line text, they're like, how many mics? I'm like, none on this side. No, 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 no. <laughs> but, you know, back in the, back in the before, I thought I could sing. So I went to audition, and I was awful. I mean, it was, I was terrible. Yeah. But uh, Petey <laughs> Hines called me up, like, a few days later. He's like, so, uh, you suck as a singer. I'm like, yeah, I do, don't I? He said, but uh, we're, we, we got rid of our bass player. Um, so do you want to, do you want to play bass? I'm yeah. like, yeah, that's probably what I should be doing anyway. Cause that's what I, I like doing the most. Yeah. So I was in, I was in handsome and then it was during that period that Walter wrote, can't wait one minute more. Damn. And at Brute and we went to the studio and recorded those. Wow. And then, yeah. And then if you remember, we did the video because Marco Siega, who yep. was so successful now, I'm so psyched. It, you know, what's so funny. We'll be watching just random shows on Netflix or Hulu or whatever with, with Caitlin, my wife. Yep. And then his name will come up, and I'll say, like, "Oh my God, there's Marco Siega!" Like I, he's an old Jackson. Yeah. I know. I. But I remember Walter being Walter saying, "Hey, we 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 um, we got we're gonna do a video for the song because Marcos Marcos wants to strike out on his own." So he called in all these favors that that he was owed, and he got Kaufman Astoria Studios for a day, and he has this brilliant concept for a video. Yeah. So uh, I just remember we were like, okay, let's, let's, does everybody have like a 1960s mod suit? Yeah, we got it. We got it. All right. This, this is going to be the concept. We're going to look like this, but it's going to be a talk show and all our friends are going to be the audience and whatnot. So smart. And uh, you, were, you were, you were there. You're like one of the stars of the video. I was, yeah, my leopard, my leopard thong and shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a fun day too. It was, it was a great concept, man. It's awesome. Such a great video. I know and it, how fun it was all day do you remember how long we were there such a long day so is that, is that how is that is that kind of how the look for civ kind of started just by that video uh, yeah kind of yeah yeah it was because the first few shows we, we wore the suits and i remember by the fourth show i was like i can't go on stage in a suit man it's too fucking hot because mm -hmm. i i used to move around back then and i was like it's just too fucking hot yeah so um but that's how it started it was just just for the video because i remember so the song, when Walter wrote the song and he was telling me about it, I remember him saying, all right, I want like a real 1960s bass tone on this. So all of a sudden, I'm, you know, I'm thinking the who, 
Like that's that's yeah. it, that's it, you know. And that's what we look like. Totally. If you, if you see the video, I mean, we all had the the sunglasses, the crew cuts, the 1960s yeah. suit, skinny ties, and whatnot. And uh, I just remember the funniest thing was though the the actual number of shots that they did with the band was minimal. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh my god, you know what the funniest thing is? It's still a sore spot with Charlie because a few years ago we were watching the we were watching the video. <laughs> And they don't show Charlie at all. They don't in the video? It's the funniest thing. Everybody gets soloed. Like, Sam gets soloed. Walter gets soloed. Obviously, Siv gets soloed because he's the band. Yeah. I get soloed, and Charlie never gets soloed. But there's one there's one um, frame that's a wide frame, and you can see Charlie in the crowd in the back, like, on the back. <laughs> oh, Charlie, I remember one time a few years ago, he's like, pause it, pause it. Yeah, there I am. There I am. There I am. I'm the guitar player. That's me. You know how funny Charlie is. So there was only two so- there was only two Civ songs written at that moment. Yeah. Wow. There were only two songs written because it was only supposed to be it was just a, it was supposed to be a project just yeah. for fun, yeah. seven inch, just to be like, hey, you know, Civ is still doing something. Or I don't even know. This mm-hmm. was like I'm actually just I shouldn't even. This is all conjecture here because this was it was Walter and Civ's idea. Yeah. And then, and then you know. Walter was like, you should, you, you know, you got to play bass on this. So it wasn't even a full band. Yeah. But then the video, McGee picked it, it up. Off, man. Yeah. What happened was McGee, it got to McGee, Scott McGee, who was uh, Quicksand's manager. Yep. And he, I remember him saying, this, you know, this is really good. This is a great song and this video is amazing. Yeah. So he kind of started shopping it around. Yeah. And all these labels, I remember there was a bidding war with these labels. Um, and then, you know, we decided we were going to go with, uh, Lava Atlantic, yeah, Atlantic for less money because, you know, we were like, all right, let's take less money because it's in advance and, yeah. you know, we're going to have to get back and, you know, we have faith in ourselves that maybe we'll be all right. So they gave us more points on the record because, you know, as you know, the record industry was most exploitive in the world 100%. where like, I mean, you know, a band gets 12 cents to every dollar that, that, that's, that's sold on records. Yeah. And so I'm not one of those people, you know, whatever. I don't want to get into the politics of the record industry, but um, I, I, no, Atlantic was, they, they were good to us. They were really, they were, they were really cool. And I remember that um, there was another band called Compulsion, I think. Okay. And they had done a video. They were from Ireland and they had done a video that was kind of a talk show thing. And MTV was so behind ours that they wouldn't play their video oh, and wow. they were they were calling Atlantic records and they were saying this band needs to get their fucking record done and out because we want to break this. And, and we were not playing the other video. Holy and shit. yeah. And you know, the funny thing was about, you know, how that record was written, how set your goals was written. It was hilarious because Walter was on tour with quicksand okay. and um, he was sending little mini cassettes by FedEx every night. He would write the song. Uh, yeah. He would write the songs on the quicksand tour bus. <laughs> and he would mail them. He would mail them to 22 Leroy Street because that's where he was living with Charlie. Yeah. And when when he was on tour, I was subletting, so I was living there with Charlie while he was on tour. And like every other day, a FedEx package would come with a little with a little mini cassette and Walter like whisper singing on the back of the Quicksand tour bus. Holy and, shit! Yeah, yeah, 22 Leroy Street, just off of Bedford in the West Village. And um, anyway, so Walter finished that tour. And then he was, that's when they were working on manic compression. Yep. So 
we decided, you know, we're going to record this thing at, at Furies, of course. Why else wouldn't we? We're not going to make the same mistake that we made with uh, with Star Today, where we started recording it at Chongqing, okay. and then wasted wasted time and money and got insulted in the process. Yeah. But um, and then just ended up going to Fury anyway. So we recorded it at Furies. But this was, was really funny because we would be recording the Civ album during the day or at night, and then. We would leave and Walter would be doing working on the quicksand on manic compression either day or night, depending. So he was like there like 18 to 20 hours a day. He was at Fury Studio. Yeah. And if you remember, Fury Studio was in the basement. Yep. Right. So this is the spring now. This is spring of 95. It was really one of the most beautiful, beautiful springs in the world. Yeah. And um, I remember I was living over in Chinatown. I was living on uh, Forsyth Street. And uh, I just remember going to the studio and Walter's like, yeah, man, I'm, I, I'm, I'm turning into a sleaze pack. I haven't seen the sun. I haven't seen the sun in months. <laughs> it was so funny. It's like my eyes have become like a cave person. And uh, <laughs> But we rushed. We got that record done. And that was one of the funnest recording sessions ever doing Set Your Goals. Because it was like springtime. Yeah. The songs were like just coming together so fast. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, it was just you could hear it. You could hear it like, like in uh in the song "Don't Gotta Prove It." Yeah, that was the last song written. I remember I thought we were done recording, and Walter called me up and he was like, "Can you get here? Can you get here with a bass?" I'm like, "Yeah, I live I live on Forsyth Street. I can get there in ten minutes." And yeah. yeah, I'll bring my bass. And um, I remember we he showed me the song that day. We recorded it that day, and then we did all the background vocals. And you could hear in that song the background vocals of like the way we were laughing because we were just having the time of our lives. Yeah, it seemed really fun. Yeah, and then I and then I that, that, anyway. That's a really long digression, but no. then because uh, before that, yeah, what happened was I was in Quicksand and I mean not Quicksand. I was in Civ and um, and Handsome, Handsome, and then yeah, and then Pete Mangaday they got their old bass player back. So Pete Mangaday was pissed off that I wasn't like, and rightfully so. He was right that I wasn't committed to, to Handsome, and he was like, you know, what you got to choose a band, and then they were just like, you know, we got our old bass player back, and everything worked out fine. So is is the wait one more video getting airplay while you guys are still working on the album? No. Okay. They held it. Because okay, they held it. They, okay. Yeah, because um, they didn't want they didn't want to put the video out when there okay. wasn't an album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So they're they're like sitting on this video, waiting. Now we recorded the video in the in the fall of '94. Remember? Yeah. And the Civ album didn't come out till the summer of '95. Okay. It came out. It came out after. H2O, Sick of It All, and Siv did that European tour for like 8,000 weeks. Remember that? <laughs> that was crazy. The fucking longest tour ever. No, seriously? What were we out? Like nine weeks, Toby? It was so fun, though, man. Like, I have so many pictures of us wrestling and pillow fights. And I remember chasing oh chasing you guys around naked. And, and I was naked in the gymnasium chasing Arthur. Not you around. Chasing Sammy around and Charlie. And I rubbed poop on <laughs> myself. Oh, my God. That was the first time I saw a rope that tour. Yeah, man. Rope's been discussed many times in this podcast, and it's definitely like something was, that if you weren't there, you missed it. It's like back then. It was something I could do when I first became vegetarian. Well, sick of it all we're telling. I remember Armand, Armand and Craig trying to describe it to me, and I'm just thinking to myself, they're hyperbolizing. It can't be like this. And then I remember we were in Germany. It was a beautiful fucking day, and we were in Germany behind the club, and they put down a pizza box, and you stood I don't know how many feet away, and, I, and I'm just looking at Armand and Craig. And they, you know how they start laughing. And I yeah. said, I don't think this is, I don't think, I, I still don't believe it. And then I remember being both amazed and horrified at the same time. 
Because the thing is, your aim was good. You hit the pizza box. Yeah. You're like, yo, what did you, what did you guys do to my little friend from Maryland who used to sleep in my house with a blanket? Why did you guys fuck this dude up? And now he's like shitting his pants and doing pussy boy and fucking running around like Gigi Allen. Like, fuck, man. Oh, my God, dude. And, and that's something that I bring up, too, is it's a constant... There's a constant undergoing theme of this, and I never got this from you, and that's why I, and, not, not, and that's why I don't know I have a different bond with you. But there was this, you know, this New York tough love ball breaking where they call me the girly man from Maryland. They'd fucking pick on me. They they find your weakest point. They poke at it and poke at it till you fucking crack. And there's something yeah. that it was a very New York thing, and, and I got that tough love when I moved there. And um, I never I never I never got I never got that from you like we, we we were like we were just automatically friends and close and we wasn't there was ball breaking but it wasn't like I mean those motherfuckers had me shave my head for five years they told me I was bald and now I still have a full head of hair like they had they had me <laughs> fucked up and that's like this New York like so the whole shit <laughs> no you're right and I it's just everybody was just like you got to be a dick to each other basically yeah I wasn't like I couldn't do that man I couldn't be that guy I mean I also you know because. I got some shit too. Like I got some yeah. shit from people and I just didn't like to give it, you know, I just, it wasn't my style to do it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, but I, actually, did you, did you, Craig probably, Oh my God, he got the most shit between you, you that today did to him and AF. Yeah. He talked <clears> about <throat> it on the podcast already. So I think in turn, he did that to me and all the sick of it all wrote. It was, it's like a whole thing. It's like a, you know, it's ongoing, you know? Um, it's perpetuating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even to exactly. this day, who 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 take a shot on me on Instagram about my hairline? This is like, and we're both grown men. It's like it's still this <laughs> continuation of the ball breaking. But I know it's love. I know it's not from a, a, a mean place. It's you know it's just. But fuck, oh my man. god, Craig is the Craig is the funniest guy. The one of the funniest things Craig said to me in recent years was a few years ago we played a show, and um, oh my god, I had just gotten my chest. Uh, tattooed. Yeah. Anyway, we played the show, and I and I go backstage, so I'm changing out, so I had no shirt on. Oh man! As I'm yeah. changing backstage, Craig comes up to me, and goes, "Look at this! Look at this!" He goes, "Look at this guy! It's a you, you, you got the body of a ten year old and the head of a full grown man." <laughs> but the best is part two of that story. He said, me. "I just got my chest tattooed," and Vinny Stigman walks by. He goes, "Hey, Audie." Good to see you. He goes, uh, you going to get a chest for that tattoo? <laughs> so I got a, fucking double, a double whammy from Craig and Vinny. And you've always been skinny, too, your whole life, man, ever since I've known you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always I've always been, been this way. Um, yeah. So let's go back a little bit. Um, obviously, I lived in the GB house after you. I lived in the closet. Everybody knows. I mean, people that know know that. I, I slept in the closet of Alan Cage's. Alan also, Cage's room, yeah. Yeah, and I also remember that, like, for some reason, I ended up ended like um, making out with Marco Siega's cousin in my closet once, and because I met her, because yeah, because I worked I worked at the studio where you guys always practice. Like it was like GB and Youth of Today. There, he let me work there and like book the bands, their times and stuff. And I remember. Wait, wait, wait! The studio, the studio on on Ninety Third Street in Jackson Heights. Yes. Yeah. The one that Marco ended up buying. Yeah, I worked there for a little bit. Yeah. Holy shit! I didn't realize that. Yeah, I was I like totally. For yeah. That was a good studio. They had a Fender Basement 135 amplifier in there. I love that amplifier. No, you didn't. Anyway, <laughs> things you remember, yeah. But I also remember. I remember also like like you said about Walter and like his open mindedness for music. I remember him playing like uh, Sugar Cubes in the house and the Smiths. I never heard any yep. of that music before, and he was always playing oh, that oh in my, the house. Walter has to see the Sugar Cubes with CBGB. Oh wow! And 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all because of Walter. I, I mean, I never would have gotten into any of that music. Yeah. And um, they were unbelievable. And it was, they were such, uh, they were, there was such a hype around them. And CDs was packed. It was obviously a night show. Yeah. And we went to talk to them after, and they were the meanest people in the world. They weren't really? nice at all. Yeah, they weren't nice at all. Funny thing is, years later, I was walking up West Broadway. And I, all of a sudden, it was, a, it was a really nice day, and there was a breeze blowing, and I'm like, what is that smell? It was like the best smell in the world. And, you know, you lived in New York, yep. and when it's warm out, there aren't many good, nice smells, no. you know? And I turn around, and right next to me was Bjork. And oh, she just wow. smelled, dude, she smelled like, I don't know, like lilies and clean laundry. It was the most <laughs> insane thing, yeah. I didn't say anything to her, but I wanted to say, hey, do you remember me? My friend and I, who looked a lot like me, when you played CBGBs, we went up to talk to you, and your whole band was really mean to us. <laughs> that sucks. That sucks, man. Um, That's all right. It might have been a language barrier thing. Yeah, but it, yeah, somebody's off day. Um, and then, and this, and so as far as the start today record's concerned, too, did you obviously you're just making a record with your friends? Did you realize what kind of impact that record would have? And like just seeing you guys play a couple weeks ago, we here you get a sold out California run in over th- almost thirty years. That record, I don't know how long the record's been out since what eighty eight. Just it's just inc- it's in, it's insane, Arthur. It's crazy. Uh no, I had no idea. So that record, yeah, right. We should talk about that record. That, yeah. that's a little. That, that's a, it's yeah, a little that important. Might, that's a, <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Um, yeah, that record. No, I had never. Okay, so basically, just tr- trying to be succinct about it. So GB started off. It was kind of a joke band. Yeah. Because everybody was goofballs, and Walter wrote all these silly songs, like the Mr. T song. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mr. T's song was amazing. It would go, it would start up with a thrash beat. It went, it just went, Tito, Tito, die, just goes to hell to regroup. And then it went into a, like classic New York mosh. And Walter and I would just sing this together because it had a call and response too. So the mosh part was, ah, pity the fool. And then it would go, ah, and somebody would go, ah, and you go, pity, pity. And then you both go, pity the fool. <laughs> and we actually played that song live at the right track in. Holy shit! I didn't even know that. It's crazy. Yeah, so that's 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 what GB was in the beginning. I mean, come on, the name. Yeah. I know. Do you think we were a serious band? So, um, the first, I mean, then Walter wrote those. You know, he wrote a couple of really cool songs. He wrote, you know, No Reason Why. And, yeah. And and Big Mouth and, but then the first inkling I got, honestly, the thing that I remember that was really a seminal moment. Yeah. That Walter was a serious songwriter was uh, when he brought High Hopes out. Mm. It was um I had just I had just gotten kicked out of Token Entry and I was kind of bummed out. Yeah. And he came up to me. He's like, "Hey, I wrote this song thinking about you." He's like, "Things are great for you now. Just think about it." He goes, "You're." I remember the word he used. He goes, "You're a commodity on the scene." He said, "You can be in any band now." He's like, "You could wow. focus on GB and play bass, which you love to do." So I wrote this song for you, and he wrote High Hopes and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had an idea that you know he could write songs, and then Forgotten came after that, which I thought was great. Great song. And then after him he wrote uh understand the music to understand for you that today oh wow and yeah which i think was one of the best songs ever and uh he so i, I kind of had this feeling that he really was talented but then he started writing the stuff for star today and yeah and then i mean it's crazy competition yeah. i remember when he came out with competition, which was like completely influenced by two hearts beat as one by you two Oh um, wow! I never thought about that. Yeah, think about it. Think about the think about that breakdown with the bass. That's straight up like two heartbeat is one. Holy shit! With the uh, yeah, yeah, with the double hits on the hi hat. Yeah. And then, uh, I mean, time flies. 
and start today and start today itself. I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. But then it's a funny thing. All right. So we started recording that record at Chunking Studios and that was that studio never really did hardcore. So they didn't understand. And, you know, Rev didn't have money. So we would get studio time at like four o'clock in the morning. Damn. So remember winter of 88, 89 and, you know, Chunking was down in Chinatown. And so Luke lived deep in Brooklyn and I lived in Queens. Yeah. And so we had, we had to do our the bass and drum tracks. So I remember it was freezing and we had to be at the studio at like three o'clock in the morning. So we stayed at my ex-girlfriend's dorm on her floor because she was going to NYU and she was at Weinstein, yeah. which is on uh, on University Place. And we stayed there and woke up in the middle of the night and went over to the studio and we're laying down tracks. And, uh, you know, the engineer couldn't stand us because we yeah. were like these goofballs that they didn't take too seriously. But one of the things that happened at Chungking was that, well, well <laughs> Walter wrote one of the greatest songs ever. So I recorded that album on a natural wood Fender Precision bass yeah. with a black pickup. And Walter recorded it on um, on a, a natural wood Stratocaster with a black pickup. And yeah. the funny thing is that... The Stratocaster was mine. I sold it to Walters, and the Precision Bass was Walters, and he sold it to mine, me. But they looked exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so they they looked exact. So I yeah, because I had left Underdog and I wasn't in Token Entry, so I sold him my guitar, okay. and he sold me that bass because I really wanted it anyway. But they were sitting right next to each other, the instruments, and we're bored now, right? Because there's just nothing to do, and this this engineer's taking forever and whatnot. Yeah. And uh, and the guitars were right next to each other, and Walters like. Hey, I got a song. And he starts going boom, 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 And it goes, it goes tall, skinny, and we have the same guitars. We're tall, tall, skinny, and we have the same guitars. And he does this song, and it's like the goofiest, most annoying thing in the world. So whenever, like, whenever we were bored, and remember, we're like 19, 20 years old, so yeah. we're bored all the time, right? Yeah. We started singing this song. And so there was one night, the engineer. The engineer, I think, um, I think he was a coke fiend, and he didn't, and he, he didn't have any coke, so he was really, really irritable. Cranky and shit, yeah. And, yeah, he was trying to get something together. So Walter and I started doing tall and skinny, and he just he snapped. He's like, "Okay, guys, no fucking tall and skinny tonight, right? No fucking tall and skinny." <laughs> so Walter and I looked at each other, and without like we read each other's minds and started going, "Because we're tall, skinny, and we have the same guitars," and we were just doing this stupid thing. But anyway. We started realizing that like it was wasting time at Chungking. So I remember Walter telling me we're going to scrap everything and we're going to do it at Fury. I like, all right, it's fine. It's fine by me. I'll just show up and play the bass. Uh, so we started recording it at Fury and that's when it got really serious. Okay. And um, we had the whole record done. This is an interesting story. It's so weird, Toby, because I was just talking about this, this too with Walter like in the last month or so. Yeah. Uh, we had the whole record done. And then Walter comes up. He's like, I got one more song. We got to record it. And I was like, really? <laughs> and it was, it was a song that, be, that, that became a little important in the, in the album. Uh, <laughs> New Direction. Oh, wow. New Direction, New Direction almost wasn't on that record. Holy shit. Walter wrote it after the record was all recorded. It was done. And he comes in with a song. And I'm that's when my jaw dropped. And that's when I, was, I just thought to myself, all right, this guy is he's on another level now. Because... It's just, yeah. New direction and came in at the very end. Wow. It was, it was Toby, the whole, everything else was done. Every other song was recorded. And, Holy shit. And it's Final so hour. funny because, yeah. I mean, can you imagine 
how, how different that record would be if it didn't start with New Direction. No, dude. I know. Fuck. It's just. I know. It's just really, really. But we, you know, we just thought we made a good record. That was it. You Whose know, idea was, was the horns? The horns in the beginning. I think it was Dylan's. Okay. I think it was Dylan, Walter's little brother. Don't don't quote me on that. Yeah. I know Dylan is the one that found them. Dylan is the one that found those horns because they were they were um they were uh, public domain, so we didn't have to get any permission to use them. Interesting. Yeah, and I'm fairly certain it was Dylan's idea. Awesome. I mean, I think Dylan is also the one that drew the crazy guy with his arms over his head. Yeah, I think that's true too. Yeah, I think Dylan drew that. But uh, yeah, and I remember. Jesus God, and there were delays in putting the record out. But you know, I knew it was a good record. I just, you know, to me, it was never going to be in the canon of like Victim in Pain or Age of Quarrel or anything like that. You know. Yeah, um, but it, yeah, but it was. It, ha- it had its own lane. You know what I mean? It's crazy that what it's become and how much power and impact it's had on. The world, me, me personally, obviously, to be able to sing backups on that record with you guys and be part of those lyrics and those gang vocals, yeah, all, that was so fun. Back. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. It's so fun, um, man. It's it's a good record. I think it holds up. It really does. I mean, it's funny because I don't really listen to it now because we play so differently. Yeah. Like, we're much, we groove more. I mean, we're better musicians now, too. Yeah. Like, we can, so, but it's it, it's funny because, like, you know, we won't play for a little while, and then we'll rehearse, and, and it just hit me how good some of this, like, recently it hit me how good the song Time Flies is. This song is yeah. freaking genius, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I mean, Walter hooked me up big time, too. So the, the GB, there's so many, like, so many moments where the bass is featured. And this is actually funny. Walter said to me a few years ago, it was actually when we first started playing again, and I hadn't played the songs in a while, and I was relearning them, and I, was, I said, you know, Walter, you, uh, you really hooked me up over here. There's so many, this is a bass heavy band. He's, he's <laughs> like, and he's like, yeah, you know, uh, I was by designer. I think he goes, you remember when we were kids, you were the only one who knew how to play your instrument. So I figured I got to write songs around this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. It's, right. It's, yeah. Because fun. now Luke is, is an amazing drummer and he Walter, is. I mean, and Sib is an incredible singer. Yeah. I mean, well, Sib was always, it was, Sib was always, no, there was never a problem with Sib's voice, but you know, we were, you know, we were young, and and yeah. I mean, Walter's become an incredible guitar player now but. and songwriter. I think so, he's like one, like I put, I dude. put, I put Walter up there with Tim from Rancid, like on the West Coast. He's like the East Coast, easy, like, dude, easy. And the thing is, Toby, we did um a few years ago. We were doing Walter Schreifel's band, yeah, and it's so funny because there's so many songs that nobody's heard that he hasn't recorded, or that he's recorded and just has sitting around yeah like some of the best songs the stuff that he throws away is better than like the best thing i've ever written Damn. and i actually recently i said you know i was bringing up some of the songs and it's like yeah that's a good song and i'm looking at him saying it's not a good song it's an amazing song yeah it's an incredible song i they were like i can think of three songs like off the top of my head yeah. that i just told him just record them release yeah. them and i'll play based on them and be the happiest person in the world to be playing on them you know yeah well, he's versatile too, because the thing about Walter is he can write in so many different styles, and I think it's because his taste in music is so eclectic. I love that. I mean, quick... we were saying before, mm-hmm. he's always into new things and showing me, and even if the new things are old things, like yeah. obscure six week stuff that he's shown me. Yeah, he's just so it's encyclopedic. It's incredible how much he, how much his music he knows. Yeah, and uh, yeah. Do you remember the first I, time I, you heard Quicksand? Yeah, I remember my mind was blown. Dude. I remember my mind was completely blown and I thought to myself, wow, my 
this little guy <laughs> that that was like you know my goofball partner with a stupid name um you know because we had this two skinny tall skinny guys <laughs> with dumb names and yeah. uh you know skateboarding and goofing around and showing me how to clean breakages in aisle six at the supermarket <laughs> oh yeah that's a great story how he trained me but uh anyway but, but i just remember thinking wow this guy is just a big league songwriter now like this is major and mm-hmm. it's funny because i thought quick then was going to be huge and uh walter has just a much more sanguine view on things because he I remember saying to me he said yeah you know what arthur for you and me coming from the music that we do it's but think about people that are just normal people that don't grow up with the music we do. I think yeah. was just a little, a little weird for them. Yeah. But, dude, I mean, slip is slip is flawless. flawless I think manic compression is amazing too. Me I too. mean, manic compression got some of the best shit on there. I know. It yeah, was, I loved quick. It was incredible to see them come like come from there. Yeah, just all the even like GB to Siv, just all those different little journeys you guys and you guys always stuck together and maybe switch different players and different bands and you guys stayed such a tight unit you know what i mean it's awesome yeah you know i mean i look at it like this um walter and siv i mean you know they were they were my co-best men at my wedding last year and there's yeah. a reason for that yeah you know, there was no question there was no there was no question it was yeah. you know when 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 caitlin and i were planning the wedding it's like i'm gonna have two best men she just looked at me like yeah of course you are and you don't even have to tell me who they are awesome because you know I mean, look, I, it's, I came, you know, people, we go in and out of each other's lives. And yep. I came to this conclusion years ago with those two guys. I said, you know, when they're in my life, it's always a better life than when they're not. Yeah. So, um, you know, for whether they like it or not, they're in my life and that's it, you know? And, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, I know I drive, I, I know I drive, you know, Civ crazy because that's, you know, I could be really annoying and immature and, and whatnot, but you know, that's my guy and, and Walter's my guy. And, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, Luke is, and Alex was, and that's, yeah, man. You know, and uh, and Charlie, you know, Charlie's Charlie. He's one of my favorite people in the world. Yeah. But um, you know, I mean, you know, you've been in the band a long time. You know that how totally. how it becomes with people after after it. You know, when you when you when you finish your twenties, which are so tumultuous, and then you start to grow up, and the things that you used to you used to fight over, you don't anymore. Yeah. You no. Know? Because the ego goes, ego goes away. You become comfortable with yourself. I mean, that's the thing. I think about myself in my teens and my twenties, and I wanted to be noticed on stage. You know, and I wanted mm-hmm. attention. Yeah. Now I don't. Want, I don't want to be noticed unless I'm being noticed by my wife or another musician that wants to, you know, talk about playing bass. You know. Hundred percent. You know, it's like you know. That's why I'm a bass player. I, mm-hmm. and I'm the background guy. That's what I do. And, and yeah. And, uh, but but you know, it speaks to a greater thing where you're just, you know, you, you become comfortable and with yourself. And, and so your relationships with your bandmates, I'm sure you have this with, with your guys and especially Rusty, cause you know, Rusty so long, Yeah. Uh, you know, you're just your family. hundred percent. You know, you, yeah, we drive each other crazy. It's what we do. Yeah, you know, there are times family at times. Yeah. Well, it's cause we're all dysfunctional. Otherwise we wouldn't have gotten to this idiotic music that we did. hundred percent. Right? Yeah. We're all fucked up. We're, like, we're all fucked in the head somehow. Yeah. And I like, don't know where it happened or when it happened, but it happened. And we're all big, point. and we're still big kids. And I think it's because we play music, and it is the genre we got involved in. And there's something so special about this; it really keeps you young, man. I don't know. It's. I agree with you. I completely agree with you because it's like, you know, um, I still every time we play, I'm, I'm, 
I mean, I, I have more fun now than I ever did. I mean, there's, there are a number of reasons for that. I think I appreciate life more now, and I appreciate mm-hmm. the fact that at this age I could still do this and people still care. Yeah. And then the other thing too, because I, st- I you know I stopped drinking six years ago. Yeah. So that made all the difference in the world. Like, yeah. Because you know, even if I wasn't, even if I didn't drink before I played, which I did, but even if I didn't, it's like. People don't realize that alcohol stays in your system, and even if you're not drunk, it affects the way. I read this, I read this study last year mm-hmm. on how if if you okay, let's say you get drunk the next day, even when you're after you're sober, your brain functions are still impeded and slower. Oh wow! And you know, yeah, and I was drinking every night, so my brain was never catching up. Yeah. And um, you know, once I stopped drinking, well, one, I think I became easier to get along with because I, I didn't have the irritability of being a hungover asshole. Um, and the other thing is I became a better bass player, you know, I mean, yeah. I remember, I remember, I remember the first show we played after I, after I got sober was in Germany. And after we played, I, I, it was this really weird, like labyrinthine backstage area. And I heard Walter and Siv around the corner talking and, uh, they were just like, yes, yeah, Mills bass playing is better than it's ever been. And, and, you know, I remember, I think Siv said something like, yeah, because, you know, he's not drinking now. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and then Walter told me that on another occasion too, and and I just you know I'm there now. I I, I you know this is just my personal thing. I'm there. I'm 100 yeah. focused now. Yeah, and I'm doing. And I'm realizing that like there are a few things in this world I love to do more than play the bass, and um, you know, but uh, I don't know. I digress with that. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah. How long? It keeps us young. Yeah, how long were you drinking for? Was it like just like a long time? <laughs> God damn it, too long. Yeah. And too heavy and too much of it, you know. I mean, that's the thing. It's like everybody's got their their moment and you know, yeah. I'm not one of those people I can't stand alcoholics that, that um that once they get sober, they get self righteous and they think everybody's an alcoholic. Yeah. No. And I no, they're not, okay? You yeah. know, they're not. There are times people go through things and sometimes people drink a lot and then they they're they, they don't anymore and they're normal. Yeah. Um me, there was no doubt about it. There was no question about it. It was, you know, I was I was really, really, truly out of control. Yeah. Um, and I was, you know, it, 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 it's a story that doesn't end well, no matter what. You know, once once you mm-hmm. cross that line to a, into addictive behavior, it, it, it the story ends the same. You know, each chapter leading up to it may have different nuances and different details, but the end is always the same. Yeah. You know, it's always a it's a it's a wrecked life, and it's a life of you know might have beens and 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 regrets and and wasted opportunities so yeah i i decided i didn't want my book to end that way i love that and uh yeah i just woke up one day i mean it wasn't easy i mean i woke up and i was just like all right this is this is it i can't live like this anymore because either i'm going to keep living like this and i'm going to end up getting sick dying Mm -hmm. doing something insanely insanely stupid yeah um or i got to get my shit together and really live and i i didn't tell anybody I just did it one day yeah. and uh, I, I mean, it didn't, you know, I, it, it, I prepared for it and I was like thinking about it. And then one day I'm like, this is my day. This is the day I'm doing it. And then uh, I remember I, it was like two months later, I told Sip two or three months later, I went out to the shop with him. Yeah. And I was like, so just got to tell you something. And, uh, what is it? And I said, I haven't had a drink in like two and a half months. Crazy. He just looked at me. Yeah. He's like, really, really? I'm like, yeah, I, I'm, trying to be done because i mean that's the other thing too you're just trying every day because it's it's really it's really an insidious condition where 
you know, you can just, you know, all of a sudden you're just like, I want this. You know? I mean, there are times now it's, it's funny because like my wife is like the kindest, most understanding person and we'll go out for, a, you know, somebody's birthday or something. Yeah. And, uh, she's so sweet too. Cause she'll always say, do you mind if I have a drink? And I'm like, oh, that's cute. Care. You know? Awesome. Yeah, no, the best. She's the best. And there are times that where I'll just look at her and be like, I got to go, babe. You know, I'll be in a bar and there are nights where I'm fine. Where I'm like, I couldn't give a shit. I'm having a good time. And then other nights where I'm like, I got to go. I'm really tempted. I got to go. And that's the thing about it that you have to be vigilant because, you know, it can come up behind you. And, and before you know it, you know, you, you got this temptation. And, and if you don't have a support system and, and, you know, people there for you, you know, you just end up in that you know, that same destructive pattern again, I suppose. Yeah. You know? but, were, uh, were you, were you, did you lose connection with everybody for a while? Did you ever go into a dark place where you didn't contact these guys? And no, just... I, didn't lose, I didn't lose connection yeah. with, with uh, I mean, that, that came years before with other things. I yeah. did, but with, with alcohol was, uh, the alcohol was just, you know, it just, I was just drinking just way too much. Yeah. I mean, I remember we played, this was, I, I, I this I should have probably stopped at this point. I yeah. should have probably stop in points before that. But I remember one thing in particular. In twenty twelve we played this is hardcore and I got to Philadelphia really early and there was a bottle of gin in the backstage area and I was drinking and then, you know, Sid Sid got there like three hours, two or three hours before we were supposed to play, walked in and I'm got this bottle of gin and I'm drinking, pulling from the bottle. And Sid did the most badass thing in the world. And he wasn't being condescending. He wasn't being, uh, you know, parental or imperious. He just walked up, took the bottle out of my hand, and put a bottle of water in my hand. Wow. Didn't say a word. And I just looked at him like, you're probably right. So I remember I, I drank a lot of water and I sobered up and played that show. But I remember thinking, like, what if Siv had come later? Or what if Siv weren't the person that he is? How would I have gone out that night and played, you know? Yeah. And that's just, sorry, man. There, you know, kids are playing, paying to see a band, and the last thing you want, you want to go up there and see some idiot that's too drunk to play. Like that's so disrespectful. Mm -hmm. it's disrespectful, you know, to the kids that go to the show, and disrespectful to, to your bandmates and to everybody. But yeah. Anyway, no, I just was, you know, I mean, I, I, I knew I had a problem for years. I just, yeah. you know, ignored it. Or what I would do is I'd make, I'd make a joke about it because then what happens is. If I mention it and joke that I'm an alcoholic, when you when you tell me I'm an alcoholic, yeah, I know, I just said that, you know. Yeah. So it's put like it out there. Little, yeah, it's a manipulative, a manipulative little game that um that addicts play. Mm -hmm. You know, addicts are really, really great at manipulating. We're we're really good at that. Yeah. And uh, you know that that was a game I used to play, and then I just realized, you know, what am I doing over here? Yeah. I got I can be better than this. My bass player Adam was like that too for many years. We had all left New York, and he was there by himself. Yep. He was working at a bar. And he got caught up in that lifestyle and it went on for a long time and he had some near death experiences. And now I think he's about sober too, like maybe six or maybe seven years now too. He's before he's about a year before me. Yeah. yeah. He and I have talked about it. Yeah. He's about a year before me. Yeah. He turned his life around, got married, found the love of his life. Now he's now he's now he's addicted to training. He's like in the best shape of his life and he's turned it around. And dude, you know, what's so funny. And I was just going to say that you said that what's so funny is that. So I quit drinking and then I met Caitlin like five, five and a half months later. Wow. I met, yeah, who is the love of my life and is my wife. And, and you know, that's incredible. And like, had I been drinking, that never would have happened. Yeah, never, I agree. Never, never, 
it wouldn't have because because I, I approached life differently and she's just you know she's Caitlin's only 29 but she's so mature beyond her years yeah and she's 23 when I met her and there is no way there's no way that she would have tolerated that person or gotten together with that person because she just doesn't she does she can't abide it she's mm -hmm. she's 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 got a bullshit detector and she doesn't, you know, she doesn't, uh, she doesn't tolerate it. And, I love and that. yeah. And I, I know that, I know that Adam, he, he met his wife. Yeah. He met his wife after he sobered up. Right. Yeah. Probably around the same yeah. time. Maybe five or six. Yeah. I mean, for sure. That's, it's fucking crazy. It's a, <laughs> it's a better way to live. It's, it's also a less expensive way to live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you, Arthur, do you have, do you have any, um, you have any regrets you think or no? Um, yeah, and we all do. I mean, one of the things that'll kill me till the day I die is uh, the way I the way I left GB in '89. Yeah, we've never talked about that. Yeah, what happened? Um, you know, I was young. I was young and and cowardly, and uh, I really left them high and dry. You know, mm. we were getting ready to go toward Europe, and uh, you know, I just I quit. I just quit. And, uh, wow. Yeah. And it was not, it was not okay the way I did it, you know, leaving the band. I mean, that was stupid, but whatever yeah. you want to leave the band. That's one thing. It's the same thing as like, to me, it's the equivalent of breaking up with, a, with, 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 with your, with your partner via text. Totally. You, yeah. you don't do that. You don't do that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've talked about it with Walter and, you know, Walter's is, Walter's a really good guy. He's a really balanced guy and he's very Zen about a lot of things. And, yeah. You know, it's me. I don't hold that against you. You were young. We were young. You know, we did stupid things. Totally. I, 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 what happened was I just apologized recently. I said, you know, I'm really sorry that I don't know if I've ever said how sorry I am for the way that I did that. And uh, so that that's a regret. I, guess. I mean, uh, I mean, that, 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 that shows how strong the friendship and the bond is there, too. Like to forgive you, you know what I mean? And, and have you come back and stuff, you know, like that's like. Awesome. Wait, Toby, is that Stella? Shut the fuck up, Stella. Podcasting. Um, no, no, I want Stella on the podcast, man. She'll be back. She's being an I, asshole. I was actually hoping because Celery was just walking around the phone, and I was hoping he'd start meowing in the podcast, but he's not. <laughs> um, but that says a lot about your character and about your friendship with them. How you know what I mean? You're still playing with them now. You know what I mean? And like, it's, nothing's really changed because of that. Well, yeah, they forgave me, and we grew up, and uh, and I I think I've done. I think I've you know I I kind of proven myself as being a trustworthy guy now and uh that's the other thing too like when when once i got sober like i, I i'm a guy that people can count on now yeah know? i mean i thought i thought one of the most telling things was um a couple of years ago when we had to play brazil and uh we had to get the visas yeah and Sim asked me if i could go get them and i remember just sitting for a moment and thinking wow that's this is a big thing and they're trusting me now with us to get the visas for the band. Totally. That and, is a big thing. I have to do it before. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it, it, to be, to be somebody that you can count on is really, you know, I like being that. I like being the guy that, you know, being one of the guys, that's not a headache. Yeah. I, I like not being a headache and not being the worry, the worry, you know, the, the, the source of worry. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, they know I'm going to, you know, I'm going to show up. I'm going to be on time. I'm going to be early because I'm neurotic. Yeah. I'm going to play. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm going to play to the best of my ability. Yeah. And, um, you know, and after shows now, what I do is I, I go back to the hotel and I watch, or I watch documentaries on the BBC Love or that. like for history channel. That's my fun now. 
yeah. you know, and, and that really, and that really is fun. It's fun for me. I mean, what do I want to do? You know, I'll hang out with the guys, yeah. but other than that, I want, I want to go sit and watch documentaries and talk to my wife. That's, yeah. that's, it's, it's, that's where I'm at. It's so different at her age and being married and some of us have families and just like the whole tour thing. And like, obviously that 45 to an hour is the most amazing feeling, but sometimes those 23 hours leading up to it or being on tour, being away from your loved ones is so hard, man. It's hard. It is. It is. And and the thing is, like, I mean, the way GB is now, though, we're not gone for very long periods of yeah. time. So that's a good thing. And the other thing is, too, like, um, she hasn't come out the last couple of shows. But, like, when I can, when we can do it, I have I have Caitlin come out. She's, she's, she's so just she's so independent. Yeah. She does her thing, you know, yeah, and it's great. And, 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 I'm, and, yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm. You know, I definitely miss her when 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 I'm away. But yeah. uh, by the way, can we talk about how can we talk about how fucking great it is to be married? It's amazing. I love it. <laughs> it's amazing. I, I love it. <laughs> I mean, I remember I'm old. I never thought it was gonna happen. Yeah. And now I just I I I, I love seeing my wife. It's, it's like amazing. The best shit in the world. It is, dude. It's, it, it, it's a cool feeling. It is a cool feeling. We're very lucky. We found people that can deal with us and are you know, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's all, <laughs> It's true because we're like we're neurotic kind of people. We're neurotic, spazzy people. And um, do you consider yourself optimistic or pessimistic? Oh my god! Which, by the way, oh my god, you want to hear something funny that Caitlin said? <laughs> and I know you, I know you'll appreciate this because because uh, you love Crossroads as much as I do. Yeah. So, yeah, let's just talk for a second about because I think I put it best when I came, when I came out two weeks ago, you, I, you saw me, I was like, I was, I was exhausted. I was off so plane. exhausted, I was, dude. I had just been through some shit. Like I'd been to two fucking funerals and, Brutal, and, and, and I'm sorry and, for that. Too. Yeah. No, it's, it's no, thank you. Toby. It's not what I'm saying, I but you know, I've been through the thing and yeah. I sit down, I got, I fly into LAX. I take a freaking lift. I walk at the crossroads. I took my first bite and I just looked up at the table. I said, you know what? This is what it is. There's food. And then there's crossroads. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. And I cannot in any way possibly convey to people the gravity of that until they eat it. But the point of the story is, point of the story is not this time, but like I guess the time before that I was going to LA and Caitlin wasn't coming. Yeah. She got fake, she got fake mad at me and told me that I was going to food cheat on her. <laughs> Food cheat. I've never heard that before. Like you're gonna food cheat on me. I was like, so what do you want me to do? Not eat when I'm in LA? Oh my god, you can't cross those without me. That's amazing. Food cheat. <laughs> I've never heard that term before. I I I I neither. I think she created it. Oh my. That was her brain. Yeah. Food cheat. Yeah. Um. So Fuji. I mean, so wait, you're, we're playing together and and we're playing a show together in uh in June, right? Yeah, man, we are. I'm psyched. Festival. This festival, right? Yeah, I'm still. Is that out, is that outdoors, Toby, or indoors? I heard they moved it indoors. Oh, I like I like playing outdoors. Me too. Yeah, how many shows you guys have out there? Uh like four, I think. I'm not sure. Yeah, we do. Yeah, too. I think like, well, I think we have like four. I don't even. That's the funny thing too. I like. I don't even know what's going on until it gets close. Until yeah. I have to book the flight, and I'm like, oh, this is what I got to do. Like I with, with the California shows, I, I remember just being. I think I'm playing here. I know you I didn't know what was going on. I loved it. I mean, we were going through some shit yeah. too, though. And that's how it. Yeah, that's how I always. I'm like, you know, I'm going to show up. I'm going to find out. I'm going to be on time. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, we're going to have a great time. But, um, yeah, yeah, I'm just yeah. This is going to be fun. It's going to be fun to play those shows. I just wish we were outdoors because it's. I don't know. I'm one of those people. I like playing outdoors. Yeah, it means I love it's that. Warm. 
Do you um I'm, do do you consider yourself optimistic or pessimistic? Optimistic. Yeah. And you know why? Because yeah. I'm still here. Exactly. And the thing about pessimism is that I call people on this. Yeah, I have my moments where I'm not. You know, I have. A, we all I have do. A, like, we, we all do. We're not perfect. Yeah. yeah. But my thing is that you're not really a pessimist. You're full of shit. Because if you were a true pessimist, you'd off yourself. You know. Mm. And and I look at this. I wake up every day, and I wake up in a good mood, and I wake up even if I'm not in a good mood. Yeah. I know it's me. I mean, yeah. Look, I'm optimistic because I'm still because we're two years into this motherfucking Trump presidency, and I'm still alive. Agreed. You know, I haven't I haven't killed myself or anybody else. Agreed. So I'm I'm optimistic, and yeah. I and you know I mean like here's the thing not to get not to get corny. But Martin Luther King said the greatest thing in the world. The arc of history is long, but it bends toward justice. Mm. And, you know, we've taken we've taken like leaps and bounds back now. We've gone back. And, uh, you know, if any of your listeners like Donald Trump, then you don't like me. And I'm sorry if, if my <laughs> if me talking against Donald Trump offends you, you liking Donald Trump offends me. Agreed. But, um, yeah, fuck that guy. He's a racist. And. And a million other things. He's a racist. Yep. He's a sexist. He's a homophobe. He's a xenophobe. He's regressive. He's a fossil. He should. He, he and his entire kind should just wither away into the trash shit heap of history. All right. So we've made a few steps back. We've gotten really, really. We've taken a lot of steps back. But I'm optimistic because you know what I look at. I look at it like this. This is the death rattle. This is their last. That they're dying. That philosophy is dying in so many ways. It's funny because. Um, you know, it was funny because um, I was asked recently about, um, you know, Siv's uh, daughter being able to vote in the pre next presidential election mm -hmm. and how I felt about it. You know, and, I, and it was like, you know, yeah, I'm old that she's and I thought, you know what? I think it's a great thing. You know why? Because I know how that kid thinks. And you know what? Yeah, I know the votes he's going to cast. And you know what else? There are millions more like her in the next election that are going to vote. And that means millions more of these old white supremacist reactionary fossils are going to die. So mm -hmm. the world is going to get better because all the young kids, the kids that are like your son's age, that yeah. are Bella's age, they're coming of age now and they're going to vote. And they're gonna have a say, 100%. and they're not. They don't carry. They don't carry the baggage of the racism and, and the homophobia and the sexism that previous. I mean, Toby, think about it. people like you and me. Our generation, we were the exceptions. You know yeah, that true. we that we were. You know that we didn't have these views. We didn't yeah. hold these views and exceptions. And now it's becoming more that the, the people that hold the deplorable views, those are the exceptions. Yeah. That's the thing we have to realize too that those people are in the minority. You know, Republicans yeah. get elected to office because they've rigged the system. They're the minority party. Yeah. They get into office because of the Electoral College. They get into office because they gerrymander, because they do voter suppression. OK, yeah. the other thing that's happened in the United States is the demographic change, which is the greatest thing in the world. We're becoming a more pluralistic country, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And, you know, again, it's I, I don't want to go. I already did. I already went, I went on a tirade. But no, it's OK. This is their death rattle. This is the end for them. And they know it and they're scared. And what they're doing now is they're trying to pack the Supreme Court and pack the lower courts. And they're trying to pass legislation to to so that they can hold on to their power a little longer because they know their time is over. It's yeah. done. Yeah. It's a new world. Yeah. And quite honestly, it's got to change or we're done for because we can't continue like this. I know. Do you, you think know? you think there's a good chance to get reelected again like we happened with Bush? What's that? You think, you think it's a good chance he can get reelected re again, like what happened with Bush, where everybody hated Bush and he got reelected again? Well, he didn't get. Remember, he didn't get elected the first time. Okay, know, he didn't right. get elected. Okay, that's right. Yeah, that's right. 
the Republicans have not won the popular vote yeah. in the last the last three elections they've won. They've done it on the Electoral College, which, yeah, as right. we all know, is a vestige of the slave states. It was so you know, it was a, there was a law that was put into place to protect the slave states so that they would be represented. OK, yeah, it's anti-democratic. We're the only country in the world that doesn't elect their leader. That, that has a putative democracy doesn't like their leader by popular vote. So Donald Trump did not get elected. He did the elect the electors elected him. The people didn't. Same right. thing with Bush. He didn't get elected. The Supreme Court uh, ruled in his favor, and then he got he got uh, he got him he, the minority candidates, and they got the minority vote. So yeah, there's a chance because they because the system has been so corrupted by by people in power. Yeah. But um. I mean, scary, you know, I, I don't scary, know. Man. It's terrifying. It's 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 just it's disheartening. Yeah. It's you know, the fact that that he could get as many votes as he got and that enough people still support him, you know, yeah. Yeah. after everything. I mean, the guy is is he's more corrupt than Nixon. Mm -hmm. He's the most he's the most corrupt president that this country's had in the last hundred years, maybe in history, because we don't even know everything yet. Yeah. He's a liar. He's a thief. He's a cheat. He's a moron. He's <laughs> anti-science. He's anti-intellectual. He's ahistorical. He's everything that's wrong. Yeah. You know, global warming doesn't it's, exist. It's crazy, man. Oh, so no, crazy. science doesn't exist. Right. Right. Yeah. No, everything is, you know, it's a hoax. It's a hoax perpetrated by the Chinese. Yeah. I it's mean, crazy. He's from New York, though. It still baffles me. He lives in Manhattan. He's not. Things. You know, you know, here's the thing. Um, yeah. This is the funniest thing. Uh, um, oh, my God. I love her, and I just forgot her name, what she said about him. Uh, Fran Leibowitz said the best thing. She said, nope, he's not a New Yorker. He's a tourist's idea of a New Yorker. Mm. And when people say he's from Queens, I'm like, he's from Jamaica Estates. He's from, like, he's from Queens as much as, like, someone from Riverdale is from the Bronx. Yeah, technically, you're in there, but he has, he has morally and and – in terms of in terms of his soul, nothing to do with Queens. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. he's a spoiled little rich kid who inherited four hundred and fifty million dollars from his crooked father, and that's what that's all he is. Yeah, you know, he's he's the worst example of what you know what a human being or a human like object can be. Because I don't even want to think of him as human because it, it makes me feel bad about myself. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy because for Max, before this election was happening. He was just a, he was like a meme on social media. So young kids like who is this guy Trump? He knew him from the TV show. He was like a total like joke online. All of a sudden, these kids see this person become the president, and it was kids were freaking out when that happened. All kids in Max's school, there was like it, it, they couldn't believe it that this guy became the president. And so the the youth was just like I couldn't believe it. I know. I, I know. I know. I'm just you know I because I, I really you know it's funny because I remember. The night that Obama was elected. Me too. It was amazing. I was, I was on tour my, in the South. It was fucking crazy. I was with my sister and my brother-in-law, and we were just. I just looked at her and I said, "It's over. We're never gonna have to live this again." Thinking that Bush was so bad. Yeah. Little did I know, eight years later, you know, I mean, yeah. eight years later, that, you know, I mean, forget. I don't. You know. Yeah. That 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 it's even worse, and that. I forget how bad Bush was, and Bush was terrible. Mm -hmm. But I, that's how bad Trump is. That I forget how bad Bush was. Yeah. You because know? yeah. Anyway, it's crazy. I remember. I, I remember being at Crossroads, and Tall had this thing every year where you sit in this room, we eat food, and we watch the election. I remember like 
seeing everything change with the, with uh, the polls and everything, and then uh, and then like it happening, and all of us barely saying goodbye to each other, and everybody walking out like with their heads down. It was it was it was brutality, man. It was. Oh, that's right, because you were three hours behind. That's right. That's right, because we're in New York. <laughs> yeah. It was just. Yeah. I just, I remember the city the next day in New York because you know he lost. He he lost by ninety two percent of the vote here. Yeah, which is which is hilarious because like he's from New York City. I don't think any candidate in history has gotten less of his hometown vote. I mean he's Damn. he's hated he's hated here. Yeah. The only place that voted for him was Staten Island. You know how we feel about Staten Island. It's not <laughs> it's not New York. I don't know. It, it, it broke off from Mississippi and like and, and 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 came up here. No knock on people from Mississippi. There are good people down there, but you know you guys politically have to catch up but anyway um yeah new york it was like it was funereal i remember going to work that next day and just it was it was like everybody's mother died that day yeah i mean i felt like somebody had gut punched me you know yeah i don't know anyway it's crazy times but, but yeah uh, it's, it's i mean it's hard it's hard to you know you try to stay positive keep moving doing what you do and trying to get Sometimes it's hard looking at the news. You get stuck in the dark, get in this dark downward spiral of all this kind of stuff going on. It's it's happening. You know what? Though? Yeah, that's how we got here. No, I am optimistic in the end. Yeah, I yeah. am because you know I look at it like my life today is better than it was yesterday, and it's better than it was a year ago. And in a year, I hope it's going to be better than it was than it is today. I mean, yeah, you know, I you know, I mean, look, so yeah, I am optimistic in the end. It's just you know, you got to. It's like anything else. You know, you there. there you, you made your favorite movie. There are moments in your favorite movie that you don't like, right? Yes. And then, then it's better again, you know. And yeah. and this is just a, this is a rough this is a rough patch in life. Yeah. But things things are gonna be okay, you know. I hope. I mean, that's it's also much easier for me to say something like that, you know, as like yeah. a, a straight white guy with you know all, you know where life isn't as hard on me. Mm-hmm. So I I'm qualifying my statement by understanding my privilege. Yeah. But um, I do hope things are going to get better, and I do believe they will get better. I think that the good people are going to prevail. I agree too. Um, I think there are more good people in this world than there are bad people. It's just the bad yeah. people are really, really loud, yeah. and they don't play. That's it. They don't play fair. But in the end, all cheaters get caught. Yeah. And you know, and these people, the Trump crowd, they're cheaters. They're liars and they're cheaters, and their and their intent is is negative. And in the end, in the end. It, it, they're gonna, they'll get theirs, and and the good people are gonna win out. Yeah, I believe, I believe, gonna, I believe in karma and all that stuff for sure. So anyway, but, yeah, um, well, I want to well, thank you for being one of the good people in the world and good people in my life who took me in when I moved to New York and I was eighteen. You know, just meeting you in D.C., becoming pen pals, and actually making it reality and moving to New York by myself, and um, uh, and taking me under my wing, and I get to be I got to be a part of, you know, become becoming vegetarian because of you guys and being you know. I don't know, like your little brother, even though we're not much ages, like one year apart. But back then, you guys seemed so much older. Back and... then, it seemed, yeah, back then, a year seemed so much longer. <laughs> that, yeah, I know it is. Perspective is like, wow, you know, three years seemed like an eternity. And now it's like, oh, that was yesterday. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I I love you. Dude. I love you. And, and, you know, I still call it so funny because I was telling, I was talking to Caitlin before. I'm like, oh, yeah, I got I to gotta do this podcast with that kid. I'm still calling you a kid, you know? <laughs> Forty nine because that's that's always going to be you know that's always going to be our dynamic I suppose yeah. and it's not you know it's not to, you know in any way to denigrate you but it's yeah. just you know you'll always be younger yeah but um no I'm happy you you've been you know 
I'm happy you've been a part of my life, man. Yeah, man. And I'm psyched, I'm psyched our bands are going to play together again. Me too, man. Because I always had, you know, last time I saw you play, I walked out and I looked at Caitlin. And I was like, you know what happens every time I see H2O? I walk out with a smile on my face. That's awesome, man. Thank you, man. Thank you. That's And that's a good thing. That's If that's the legacy that you're going to give to the world, that's a good thing, man. Yeah. Thank you, man. Well, I've been inspired by you and I got to be around you guys. You guys are a big inspiration to me. And, um, yeah, I appreciate all the all the music you've been involved with and everything you put out in the world. And it's inspired a lot of people, man. You know, it's awesome. You do a lot of good things with your life, my friend. And you continue well, to do so. To, I was just lucky to be able to play the bass and be around Walter and Siv. That's that's pretty much it, man. Seriously. Well, they're lucky. To just, they're lucky it, to have you too, though. It was, all, it was all happenstance. It was all happenstance. I happen to be a guy that could play the bass serviceably enough, and 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 you know, be around when Walter and Siv, and you know, I'm you know, along for the ride. That's the yeah. way I see it. So. I'm gonna send it's you a some, good ride. I'm gonna send you some pictures of some of our um crazy albums. Oh my god, I was then. just gonna tell you, you have to send me these pictures. You have to. And it, yeah, <laughs> please, you have to. Especially like if you have pictures of the night we met, Jesus. I do fuck, man. I have that. We had sweatbands on and like weird high tops. It was such a weird high oh, top god. thing back then, man. Oh, it was such god. a weird thing. You know what's gonna be funny? Send me the picture and then I'm gonna I'm gonna go up to Caitlin. I'm gonna be like, babe, I'm thinking of reviving the style. Yeah. Like like <laughs> fuck this British mod style that I've got going on. You have a good you have a good style right now. I like your hair now. It looks good, man. I like your vibe. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you. I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm just letting it go. But you, um, you've always changed up did... with different vibes over the years, you know? I like yeah, that. you know, you grew up and you adapt and I'm gonna tell I'm gonna tell Caitlin, yeah, babe, I think it's time I went back to circa nineteen eighty seven. I'm gonna get these sneakers. I'm gonna get these sweatbands. I can I, I'm gonna get some puka shells too. Puka, <laughs> puka beads, it's so random. It's crazy. <laughs> But I have to have to say the, the the champions and the Nike high tops and all that New York shit, it was yeah. so made like all that shit now that's extremely popular now. It's just back then this look was just and I talked to Walter and Sammy and Priscilla about how like how everybody's rocking leather jackets and they were like punk rock and then what I thought took real guts is all everybody being clean cut wearing varsity jackets into CBGBs. Yeah, like that was yeah. pretty shocking and original, you know. It kind of was. I mean, it's funny, too, because I used to dress like, you know, brothel creepers or Doc Martens. And then I started wearing the youth coat thing. And I mean, and then it got to a point, actually, honestly, where I was like, I don't really like this. I like the creepers better. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, dude, when I got into this music, one of my favorite bands was Social Distortion Best. for two reasons. The songs were amazing. And remember what they. OK, so you remember the vinyl of Mommy's Little Monster? Yeah. And you opened it up and saw pictures and how fucking cool social d look so like cool. after the clash after the clash nobody looked cool mm. in the social day i agree <laughs> like so... they just look so fucking cool mike mess with that beret yeah dude so and Dennis cool. De- De- they just look so fucking cool yeah the eyeliner yeah. and the fucking yeah it was this dude yeah it's a good point those actually california, those yes. california bands and nothing can touch those bands channel three adolescence Nothing can touch that stuff, man. That stuff holds up. That shit holds up so strongly, mm. you know. Yeah. Did you like? Did you love Circle Jerks too? And like Dead Candies, Black Flag, Suicidal. Well, here's the thing about that. You know, I was never the hugest Black Flag fan or Circle Jerks fan. Dead Candies were amazing. Amazing. I liked the first Suicidal album. Yeah. What wasn't there to like about Incredible. it? Incredible. But. I always gravitated toward the really melodic California stuff. That's why, I like, Adolescence, Descendants, Channel Three, Seven Seconds, uh, Seven God, Seven Seconds Dude, was like fucking bad. That's like that's the Bible, man. I agree. That's, Walter put it best. He said, "If there hadn't been Seven Seconds in Youth of Today, there wouldn't have been Gorilla Biscuits." Dude, I, I oh my God, that. the first 
the first token entry tour that we did, which wasn't really much of a tour. It was just going out to California and hanging out and playing shows where we could. Yeah. Uh, we drove cross country in an, an unair conditioned van. It was the funniest thing. <laughs> and the crew, we just kept putting the crew on over Damn. and over and over and over again. We listened. We must have worn that cassette out from that trip. Such a great record, like just, though. Yeah, and it's what, but twenty minutes long. So you can imagine how many times we had to listen to it. Did you like the other stuff, like You're... New Wind and our, ourselves and So Force Revolution? I liked. I love New Wind. I thought Me New too, Wind. I thought man. Praise was great. I thought I love Praise, Praise was a great album. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember they remember they went. They got shit for that. I mean, even so Walk much. Together, Rock Together was like a departure that people. Some people were like, oh, I don't know. I don't. Oh my God! Seven Seconds did two nights at CBGBs back in '86. In the fall of 86, they did two shows at CB's. What was it? Yeah, fall of 86. They did two shows at CB's on a Thursday and a Friday night. Damn. They were completely packed out. And I had met Kevin and the guys that summer in San Francisco in 86 when we were out with Token Entry because we played the farm with them. Nice. And I have pictures from that show. And the cool thing is I was wearing a Gorilla Biscuit shirt. It was the first Gorilla Biscuit shirt ever made. Siv drew it on a on like a, a cerulean blue t-shirt with a with a black sharpie it's a gorilla on a skateboard damn and, and to the point till that point it was the biggest show we played it was about a thousand people capacity yeah at um at this place the farm so i met kevin and the guys then, and then they played a few months later at cb's on the thursday and friday night so i knew them and i remember i went up to kevin before and i was like kevin are you guys gonna play out of touch and he just looked at me he's like we weren't going to but we'll play it for you that's and awesome and they played out of touch. And I just remember just absolutely losing my shit. I remember singing along, stage diving. Yeah. And it was they were packed, they were packed out shows on a fucking Thursday night. Yeah. It's fucking amazing. Yeah. He, I, I had him on the podcast and he was telling me how everywhere they went when after New One came out, people like crying at the show, saying how they they bummed them out by changing their style. And they said when they started hitting the East Coast, they started realizing that the response for New One was incredible and that they were thinking that the New York scene would be the most of like, nah, this is this is weak. It was the most acceptable part of it. Like everybody loved, everybody gravitated towards New End on the East Coast. He was so happy about that. Really, I did. That's so cool to hear because I yeah. love New End. It was great, dude. I mean, Toby, remember how much we loved Seven Seconds? Holy shit, dude, man. And the, and because of Kevin Seconds, I got into YouTube through them because they were talking about them. really, so, yeah, man. And Kevin grew wow, his hair was, out and shit. Fuck, man. I was into YouTube before yeah. I got into. Uh, yeah. I mean, I remember, yeah, I was into YouTube from boy. I was really young. And I remember reading uh, Circus Magazine yeah, when Boy that. came out. Yeah, yeah, when Boy came out. I was like 12. Yeah. And uh, and they were like, I remember Circus Magazine said, you too, looks English, sounds Irish. That's what it said. <laughs> yeah. And I just remember like, wow, this band sounds like nothing I've ever heard. Yeah. They were revolutionary when they came out. I mean, they really were. And they were really political. Mm -hmm. And... Um, so I like them anyway. Yeah. So once Kevin got influenced by them and was, you know, doing stuff like that, I thought this dude. is fine. I know. You know. Soul Force Revolution, dude. Oh man. Well, dude, I mean, think about like think about like Super Touch. Mark was so into you two as well. Like searching for the light. That's true. That was yeah, Mark loved I remember when Joshua Tree came out, Mark Ryan lost his shit over that record. Wow. We all we all did. When Joshua Tree came out, everybody did, whether Perfect they admitted or not. I, remember, I know. I remember being in the Youth of Today van. Um, I have this memory being in the Youth of Today band that spring, uh, and and just talking about how great uh, how great um, Joshua Tree Joshua Tree was as an album, and it fucking still is. It holds up. Like I listen to it on occasion and just 
my jaw will drop and I'll think this this is a masterpiece. It's like a fucking from masterpiece. But listen, but that's how people think when they listen, whether you're gonna believe it or not, but that's how people think when listening to start today. That's how they feel like that's how it affected them. And oh, Walter. What? He wrote, he wrote it. <laughs> no, I know, I know. But I'm saying also like and also just hearing you say that like in the eighties, youth of today was listening to and talking about the Joshua tree, people think even to this day that like if you're in a hardcore band, that's all you listen to. It's it's completely opposite. Hell no. It's like people think Hell you no. go and listen to it and you get off tour when you actually live it and play it. It's no, it's not true. You know, it's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like, you know, I don't eat the same food every day. Like, yeah, I mean, I grew up, I grew up on the Beatles and the who and Led Zeppelin and that stuff is still amazing to me. And, and, mm-hmm. and like for fun, I listen to Motown and I listen to like, you know, I'll, or I'll listen to Rocksteady or, or classic rock Rocksteady, or, or, yeah. jazz or, or Delta, Delta blues or something. Yeah. So, you know, I never, yeah, I never, that was always so stupid of, you know, you know, I, I don't like any other kind of music. Well, you mm-hmm. know, you're missing out. Then. You're really missing out. Yeah. But uh, for like, you know, I was, but I was going to say as for like start today and stuff, that's, that's, I was along for the ride. It's funny too. Cause you know, how many people will come up and say, you know, because of cats and dogs, I'm vegan or yeah. animal rights. And, and that makes me so happy because obviously totally. I'm, a diehard committed vegan yeah but i was thinking like yeah you could tell that guy i wish i wrote that song <laughs> I, I, I just played that i just played bass on it i didn't write it but yeah. i'm psyched i'm psyched that i played bass on a song that's changed a lot of people and that's actually i'm so proud of being a part of that because mm-hmm. i think cats and dogs is one of the smartest smartest songs about vegetarianism veganism and all rights. It was like, and think about it. Here's the thing that people have to understand. Walter wrote that he was 19 years old. Yeah. And, you know, and I mean, think about the New York scene at that time, right? Toby, it was like in your face. Yeah. Not, there's nothing nuanced in anything in the New York no. scene, you know? And no. Walter comes out with this, a question I got to ask. And then the idea of cats and dogs, I thought, well, that's genius. It's and nobody was it's talking good. about that type of shit. Nobody was, man. It's, it's just fucking genius. I mean, you know, I think it's up there with Meat as Murder as like one of the great, great. I, I agree. I would say that. Animals. Yeah, I would say that, and I, I love my philosophy. KRS One was singing about that too in '88. Hell yeah! Remember that? That was crazy. They were on the same time as the, when the same time GB came out. Same, yeah, dude. Oh my god, Toby, do you remember? I remember listening to that with you, and our, we were so happy. My philosophy. Because we were like, oh my god, it's not a hardcore band, and he's talking about vegetarianism. You know yes. who else blew my do you remember like that i remember finding out in like 87 or 88 that jane's addiction were vegetarian and being so fucking amped on that because (laughs) seriously and now think about like veganism bill clinton is a vegan like it's 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 that's a good thing so you know how we always talk about we lament when our subculture becomes mainstream yes are looking like us i always said the one thing i'm so happy that the more mainstream it becomes and the more popular it becomes, the happier I am is, is vegetarianism, veganism, because every person that decides they're not going to eat or wear or exploit these creatures, that's that many more creatures that are not going to be killed or exploited. hundred percent. It's the best trend that's ever happened to the planet because it's saving lives. I fucking love it. And all these songs that everybody was singing about no more cats and dogs back. Everybody's singing about these songs. All that shit's happening now. Like we'll have a more conscious, caring society Society is yep. fucking so true right now, man. It's it's in so insane to me. Toby, options. think about this. When I first became vegan, 
and I'm sure with you too, like you would have to explain to people what it is. I, I have to say, well, I'm very strict vegetarian. Even that word. Say, mm-hmm. People say vegan. People say vegan and they know what it is. Like anybody, whether they revile it or they, you know, they're indifferent or they yeah. respect it, they know what veganism is. And that's incredible progress. And honestly, like that to me is probably the most important decision I've made in my life, me I too. think, you know? Me too. I mean, just think of the ramifications of it. Like, yeah. it's something that you do or don't do every day and and it has such a positive effect huge on impact these, and and, Arthur, and I, can, I can thank i can thank you for that for me too in 88 i stopped eating animals and that's straight up living in the gb house seeing on the record hanging all you well, guys I can thank dude the people i can thank for that are walter Siv, me too uh gus yeah purcell purcell, purcell had a, a lot to do with it because they fucking adore him um, but just think about yeah. it. it's like every day every day the things that we don't do mean that just how many more innocent creatures that did nothing wrong they did nothing more than be born i agree you know and they're being tortured just for our gluttony that's all it is because we have so to far. wear them or we have to eat them mm-hmm. or we have you know or we have to fucking exploit them and, and make them do stupid tricks so we can laugh because we're not funny enough to make each other laugh true you know yeah um you know, just think about it. I mean, you live, you live with, you live with a, a, a non-human animal. I live with two. Yeah. And I just look at them every day, and I just, you know, I just look at them and I marvel, and I think you're an individual. Yeah. You have a soul, and you have wants, and all you want is to live life peacefully, and you mm-hmm. know that's why I, that's why Caitlin and I spoil them. Yeah. Because when when I adopted the first cat, that's you know I was I, it was before I met Caitlin when I adopted him I just he was a kitten off the street and he was abandoned. He had a broken tail and I just brought him in the house and I looked at him and I said, let me just say something. Here's the, here's the agreement between us. You will never in your life ever suffer again. And you will know nothing but comfort and pampering for the rest of your life. That's You're going to live your life. Yeah. And to, if we can just expand that, you know, that's the thing. It's because, you know, as well as I do, it's one of the oldest arguments, substitute cat or dog or yeah. pig. Or cow, yeah. or chicken, or fish. That's all it is. I know, hundred percent. All, all it is. And when, you know? pe- and when and, pe- uh, I think when people, people are so selfish and set in their ways, they don't want to see it like that. Or, they, or if I if I if I post something that's not graphic, but just something that makes you think and makes you start questioning your own self and how you're living, people are so on the on the fence because they know in their heart what they're doing. They don't have to be it. doing. There's so many alternatives for it. It's 2019. You know. Yeah. Where the fuck you get your protein from? All that stuff that's just so yeah. played out. It's like, I mean, I look at it like this: everybody's got their path, and I don't, you know, I don't begrudge people things, and yeah. and I hope, you know, everybody has their path and their timeline, and their, you know, but the thing is, just be open. And but my question is, the people that are hostile toward me or toward this or what we do, because I never, I, you know, I'm not, I try not to be an asshole about it. I think that's the worst outreach you could do is 100%. to go up and. You yell at a person. Somebody could come up to me and start screaming at me that Joe Strummer is the greatest thing in the world. And I'm going to be like, go fuck yourself because you're screaming at me. I could agree with you. Yeah. But, you know, the other thing about vegan, the vegan philosophy is, remember, it's respecting all life. And that includes humans. Agreed. And the worst thing that the worst outreach that anybody can do is to be confrontational and to be judgmental. Because then you know what happens? People shut down because that's our nature and that's fine. Yep. And then all you're doing, all you're doing is making a lot of noise being self-righteous and making sure that that no animals get saved, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, 
I agree. There's a fine line. I call myself I call myself teachy, not preachy. I want to lead by example and not force it down your throat. I'm gonna say, hey, this is my yeah. my son, 16, never had meat. He's healthy as can be. You know, raising a, a, a vegan, vegetarian son, whatever, and you know, and just lead by example, not by because when he forces exactly. down people's throats, it's just like, you know, your parents exactly. telling you, telling, rebelling at your parents. You know, it's um, you know that's just it. It's like it's really, and you know, I've I've had people, several people I know, have become you know, they've become herbivores because of the example. You know, like saying to me, "You're my wife." Yep. She said to me, she's when we first met, she goes, You're the first vegan I met that's not an asshole. And you know what I said? I said, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry on behalf of anybody that's ever made you feel less than you are yep. because of this. And that's not that's not what this is about. That's not what it's about. You know, I'll get angry at things, you know, in 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 you know private company, but I don't feel that way about people. You know, I mean, yeah, it breaks my heart and I get angry and I when I see, you know, well, I'm sorry. Hunting, I don't know. I, that's a different story. Different, I, I, I think, different story. Yeah, I think hunting accidents are hilarious. But anyway, that's another story. Um, and uh, whatever. Maybe that's my shortcoming and I haven't come up. You know, I'm not as involved as I'd like to be. And someday maybe I won't hold those views. But because that's just so that's just to me, that's the ultimate like toxic masculinity to go out and hunt with a gun. And my feeling is this. You want to go you want to go kill a lion, man, by all means. Go kill a lion with what nature gave you. Go wrestle that lion. If you can bare wrestle hands. that lion, yep. bare hands and win, I'm all for it. I'll help you skin it. I agree. But you probably, but you can't. So you got to use that little cowardly. I don't even want to get into guns because yeah. that's another story. And yeah, a go- lot of, look, there, are, there are a lot of radical leftists that are going to disagree with me. And I've had this argument with a lot of activists about, because I mean, I don't know if anybody knows, but I'm very, 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 very far left. So, um, you know, there are a lot of leftists that, you know, that are pro-gun. And I'm my feeling is, why? You know, to me, like, you know, a gun is made for one reason. There's only one reason a gun is made, and that's to kill. And I don't have any interest in killing. Me too. I, you I, know? I hate guns. I, I never even shot a gun or held a gun in my entire life. Neither have I. Neither have I. I mean, yeah, there are times where I've been curious about it and whatnot. And, but why? Again, you know, it's like people say, oh, well, cars kill people. Yeah, by accident. A car is designed to get a person at the conveyance from one place to another. A gun is designed to do one thing. It's to kill. That's the only use you have for a gun is mm-hmm. to kill. And I have no interest in that. It's not my place. I don't believe in God, but it's not my place to take a life. It's, it's just not, yeah. you know, it's, I, you know, it's, it's, I you know, and, and why, why, why do I have an interest in, 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 a, in a machine that's made to end the life? I just. No, I have no interest in it. To me, it's a compensation for something that's really missing in somebody. And we all have voids. And I know I compensate for whatever my shortcomings are with things that I do, but I try to do things that don't hurt anybody, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, no, I agree. Anyway, that's a whole different conversation, I but I, I agree with everything you said for sure, man. Like, that's, but yeah, that's, man. you know, but, you know, the, I think we both, like, all of us, one of the greatest things we've done is, is, is to, spread the word of, of the vegan philosophy and make it make it mainstream and make it you know make people realize that it's not a weird way to live and uh-huh. it's not a hard way to live especially in this day and age it's it's the you know it's there's nothing weird about not you know about not drinking you know the milk of another species there's yeah. nothing weird about not gnawing on the decaying you know putrefying carcass of a murdered creature you know there's yeah. nothing weird about that <laughs> I, I, re- I really think for the it's first time weird, 
Okay. Eating shit that grows out of the ground. You know? Yeah, I really think for the first time, like the world is changing. I, I maybe because I live in LA and you've been in New York, like we're in the meccas for this kind of stuff. But like, just seeing, just seeing how the different products are going. All the just even if I don't ever go to McDonald's again, at least they have an Impossible Whopper there, and like the Beyond Burger Impossible. Really? They're changing the planet, dude. It's fucking crazy, man. I know, I know. It's 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 incredible. I know. I was just going to Crossroads and seeing how many people eat there that aren't even vegan. No, nah, just because the, yeah, the food is fucking good. Exactly. And well, I, lo- I love Tall's approach is like world peace starts in the kitchen. Like his whole thing is like getting people who don't usually eat that type of food to eat something really fucking good. Like holy shit. Because for me and you, we were eating fucking tofu pops and dry ass hockey yeah. puck, Boca burgers, and all falafels <laughs> and all this hippie ass shit when it first came out. We were dying, man, just for the animals. We really struggled, like, touring back then and everything, just really doing it for the animals. And now there's these options for other people, and I feel like a yeah. Tulsa approach is like, hey, you can eat this food. It's really good for you. It doesn't ca- ca- cause heart disease, and you're not killing yep. any animals. And I just love that approach, man. It's so good. Well, Tall is, Tall is, is, is he's, a, he's, a, he's a lion. You know, he's yeah. amazing. But, you know, that's the thing, too, because, you know, Caitlin, my wife, makes clothing, and, and she, you know, she... um. You know, she made my. She actually made my suit for my wedding, for awesome. our wedding. But she, her idea is that she eventually wants to start a clothing company that's obviously sustainable, vegan, ethical. Yep. She doesn't want to market it that way. She just wants because the thing is that she wants people to realize that it's normal. It doesn't have to be yeah. remarkable. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, you know, you like wearing my clothes. Guess what? It's ethically sourced. It's sustainable, and no animal products were used in it. You can live this way. So, you know, you know how many times you, when people say, I can't eat vegan. Well, do you ever eat like French fries? Then, yeah, you're eating vegan. Yeah. You, you <laughs> eat vegan every day. Did you, you ever have realize. an apple or peanuts or some fucking apple, right, lettuce? Exactly. Did you, you ever eat a peanut? <laughs> it's so true, dude. But I, know, but, <laughs> go ahead. No, seriously. Seriously. No, and, what, you know what Tal is doing is you know it can't it can't be overstated you know I mean oh, the other thing too what he's doing is also I don't know he's magic or he's sold a soul to I don't know what he did but it's just it's ridiculous that yeah. that restaurant ridiculous I know and he's, I mean, one, I really and, he's like, and he's one of us dude he was he was inspired by the same he's music we're inspired kid. by he came from the same music we are inspired by man it's fucking He'll be at our at our Roxy show he was in he was in the crowd I know dude I was I was I, I told Travis and we Travis watch. Tall's going to be in the pit with no glasses on. He's like, nah, nah, nah. And during the set, I see him with his glasses off, like punching his chest, finger pointing. It's so cute. I love when I see him out there letting loose. Oh, what's wrong with him? I love him, dude. He's young, though. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, yeah, he's a fucking hardcore kid. It's so cool. And he. I know. He's a sweetie, man. Dude. And it doesn't matter who comes in that restaurant, how big or how famous. When people from the scene come there, it's fucking family no matter what. Doesn't matter how crowded it is in there. He, he, like, he knows his roots and he respects them. And. It's just fucking. It's just awesome, man. So I love. Awesome. I love when you, see, when you. I love when when people from our scene, all of a sudden, it's like they. I mean, we've we've, we've infiltrated everything. Yeah. I mean, think about <laughs> like, seriously. I mean, okay. For, uh, there, there's the obvious, like Zach De La Rocha. Right? Oh, yeah. That's not the obvious one. But then people like Paul, or I mean, yeah. you know, even somebody like 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 Steve O. Yeah. Or like. Yeah. Or like. Um, How about Steve, know, Steve Aoki with the GB tattoo? Steve Aoki, yeah, Steve Aoki, Jesus Christ, that's right. That's so right. cool. People don't even know that. It's fucking awesome. I know. There's so many of us, dude. It's awesome. We all, it's just, I don't know, man. It's a small world, too. You oh, know? no. Like, or, what, tell me, what about Ditto? Caitlin just reminded me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Ditto, Ditto from Major Conflict. I mean, Jesus Christ. Another great one. movies he did, man. Oh, my God, dude. I know. 
Dude, that guy is that guy is something else. That guy's a genius. He's incredible, man. From yeah. back in the days, I remember he's just he's a yeah he's he's a pretty amazing guy too. But um, uh, was that what's anyway. that what's a movie about saints? The first one he did was uh, it's a story. The of guys are recognizing your saints. Yeah, yeah, Robert Downey Jr. That was such a great movie, dude. Oh my god, man, such the a great movie. The book was incredible too. The book was really really good. Yeah, yeah. No, he's he's a great guy, man. I remember. I realized he's, I mean, he's a great songwriter too. Holy shit. Ditto could write a song. Oh, Gardner boy. Yeah. Yeah. He was a great man. I remember seeing major conflict back in like 84, 85. Yeah. And Ditto was on stage and it was so cool. Cause he was wearing a pajama top. Wow. He had buttoned all the way up, and then he had written Ditto on the pocket, like a name tag. <laughs> That's awesome. And I just was like, who is this fucking weirdo? Yeah. And, uh, and they were just like, Hey, he's an Astoria guy. And I remember seeing him around Astoria and, uh, he was just so manic. His energy was everywhere. Yeah. Uh, he's a good dude. I always liked it. I always liked that guy too. What, what would you now say? We, what would you say would be the most influential band that really connected you as a kid that, that you think really, I don't know, kept you on a path or put you on a different path? Something that you heard that, re- that really like, I don't know. Clash. Yeah. Okay. Respect. I saw them. Okay. Shit. There I you go. I saw them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The Clash was, the Clash was, there are certain bands and, things or books you read or movies you see or whatever that just yeah. they're seminal where you're just like okay this is major like my yeah. life is just shit and the clash <laughs> was that yeah. um hearing the clash and seeing first of all seeing what they look like i yeah. was just way and then um so they played bond they played bond they did a residency at, residency at bond in 80 or 81 and i wanted yeah. to go and I, I couldn't go because i was too young and I just remember it was all over the news, like riots in Times Square. There were no fucking riots in Times Square. Yeah. Um, side that was Kraut's first show, by the way. You know that story? Oh, no, I did not. I love Kraut, though. Oh, my God. It's the best story. So Kraut, so if Johnny Feedback goes to one of the Bond shows, and he's up front, and he throws a cassette, a demo, oh, at shit. Joe Strummer. He's like, this is my band. So it had all the info on it. They get a fucking phone call later on or the next day and it was like oh this is you know for the class i just we just listened to your your demo open for us tomorrow so crowd's very first show was opening one of the bond residency shows in times square for the clash holy shit that right there that right there is why i fucking love strummer and will always love strummer That's and awesome. then anyway i couldn't go to the bond shows so then they played in 82 they opened for the who i'd say and i love the who anyway yeah so it's like this is going to be the greatest show ever. And one thing that people don't realize about that show is that David Johansson opened it. David okay. Johansson, and then The Clash, and then The Who. Damn. And I remember seeing The Clash. I remember, okay, so it was general admission at Shea Stadium. And when The Clash came on, there was a mad rush. Everybody like got pushed up hundreds of feet, so we were compacted. Yeah. So all of a sudden, you know, The Clash. I remember Cosmo Vinyl came out and introduced them, and he was wearing a fedora and like a zoot suit. Damn. And he just came. Yeah, it was just really cool. And and then we got pushed to the front, and I just remember staring at Joe and Paul and Joe Strummer with a leg and the vein in his neck and the Telecaster, and then Paul with a fucking precision bass. Just, and I just remember thinking, like, my life is never going to be the same ever again. Wow. I remember how, I was, how old were you? I got 13 or 14. I was like, Damn. I got to cut my hair, and I got to get a pair of boots. And I, <laughs> ASAP. <laughs> yeah. That was it, man. That was it. I saw the clash, and that was it. And then I just remember, yeah, 
fuck. I remember just thinking, and the name, The Clash. Like, yeah. How, is there a better name for a band? No, man. And then because of The Clash, think about this. The, they were so on, because of The Clash, I got introduced to like reggae and rock steady. You totally, know? yeah. That, that was what Paul Simonon grew up with in the East, in East London. Yep. And then think about this too. Strummer, he loved New York. Strummer was fucking into hip hop. He was. Before, before before like any mainstream white you know radio because growing up in new york in the 80s walter and i had been talking about this a few years ago like you hip-hop was underground and whether you liked it or not mm -hmm. you were exposed to it. if you were a working class kid in new york you rode the subways so like i saw that i saw that culture and they Grandmaster were outside Flash, all that stuff you mean like yeah well Grandmaster flash was like that was like the late 70s yeah but i'm talking about I mean that, and it was very cult then. But I mean, when hip hop first started happening, and before it was mainstream, when it was still a local thing in New York, yeah, in the early '80s, and you just, you know, the style of like what they wore and the graffiti, and and I mean, Anthony Caminale was really into it because he hung out with all those '93rd Street boys, and he used to have like demos of. I remember Anthony Caminale playing demos of like battles, like improvised Holy battles. Shit. It was like he had of LL Cool J. Damn. Of LL from, yeah, yeah, and there was like a whole rivalry with the Bronx and Queens, and and I guess yeah, I remember that, yeah, whatnot. And uh, anyway, but but Joe Strummer, I mean, think about it. Joe Strummer was completely into that and was like listening to that from back awesome. then. Yeah, in the early early days, because... he was the shit. You know, he was vegetarian. You know that, right? I did not know that. Yeah, he tells a story in um in uh it's in the futures unwritten he tells a story in 1974 he was at a festival right mm -hmm. and uh, and there was a guy there and he had a pet chicken and this band <laughs> is about to play and he's like where's my chicken where's my chicken and the chicken was on the stage next to some pyrotechnic if i remember the story correctly and joe strummer he had an epiphany at that moment he was like wow i'm really terrified that the chicken's gonna die why shit why am i terrified that only about this chicken he said and then from then on he never ever ate an animal again. Wow, that's that's a fucking, that's an awesome story. Like, like all of a sudden realization of that, you know, like. Yeah, it's not surprising. He's fucking Joe Strummer. He's the I coolest know. bastard in the world. Did you love Ramones? You love Ramones also. I like the Ramones. I was never as nuts about the Ramones as everybody is. Okay. Let me. It just had to do with the sound. I mean, I love them and they're Queens boys and whatever. But yeah. Um, I mean, you know. I know that everything came from the Ramones. I know that all the British punk happened because the Ramones went over there. But um, yeah, no, I love them. I love them, but like not, you know, they're not, not up the there. With like, not with Clash. Not with the Clash. Not with, not with like the Buzzcocks or, Ooh. or, I mean, I'm sorry, the Pistols too. Never mind the Bollocks is 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 a masterpiece. Flawless, yeah. flawless. Or um, the Damned. I fucking love the Damned too. All that stuff. Oh, the jam. Oh, the jam and the jam, right? The that like more now. Walter got me into the jam. I mean, Anthony did, but Walter is the one that really made me. He loved the jam. Walter made me realize how cool the jam were. That's awesome. Yeah, he, leave it up to Walter to open your mind to some yeah, other. Walter's, Walter's, I fucking love him. I, I, I got a quick story about the Buzzcocks. I was we in my apartment on Fifth Street, and I got a phone call. Moons ago, I think it's your friend. Barney from Napalm Death on the phone. So I answered the phone and it's this English guy. And he's like, hey, this is so-and-so. My name is uh, Pete Shelley. I'm from the Buzzcocks. And uh, I'm here. From, it's like, I'm calling because I want to take I want to take your band H2O on tour through Europe. And I got your phone number. Is this Toby? I'm like, yeah. I go, this isn't the Buzzcocks. He's like, yeah, it is. I go, no, it's not. This is Barney from Napalm Death. He goes, Barney? Napalm Death? 
mate. He starts naming. He's like, he's from so-and-so England. I'm from the west part of England. Whatever he was saying, he was breaking down like where they were from. I was like, this is Peter Shelley from the Buzzcocks. I was like, I, 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 was, I, was, I kept saying, this is, not, this is not you. I was like, this is Pete Shelley. And ended up being Pete Shelley. And they asked us to go on tour. And unfortunately, we were on the Warp Tour at the same time. We didn't get to do it. But he actually called my home and he got my number from somebody. It was pretty amazing. Pete right? Shelley called you up. Oh, my God. Um, you fucking win. You win. <laughs> I called my I house nothing. on Fifth Street, and it was like early '90s. I couldn't believe it, dude. And then we found it later on. It was because then his agent hit up Stormy, our original agent, and said, "Yeah, that was him who called your house." And I just I didn't have any friends from England. All I had was Napalm Death. I thought it was just they were breaking my balls, and it was really him. Yeah. So it's fucking nuts. That's what we do. We break people's balls. Wait, <laughs> he, I, you win. I got nothing, man. I got nothing. <laughs> I can touch, touch Pete Shelley. Pete Shelley calling my house, ask, asking for me, and asking me to go on tour with him. All right, you win. It That's was, it. <laughs> but I, I love the Buzzcocks. Like, I love those records, and I knew them from my brothers and stuff. But, like, I wasn't a massive fan, but Moon was, and Moon couldn't believe it. I was like, I guess that was him. Like, that's fucking crazy. And then rest in that's peace, he just passed broke. away recently. That was so sad, yeah, I man. know. So heartbreaking, I know. And the Buzzcocks were one of those bands that were like, Anthony showed me the Buzzcocks, and I just remember being like, what is this? This is the fucking best shit I've ever heard. Yeah. Just, come on, ever fallen in love? What do right. I get? Oh, my God. Everything. Yeah, Pete Shelley was a, ma- a master. Great, me- great melodies, man, you know? Yeah, he just could write a song. That's it. Just yeah. could write a nice, catchy song. But uh, anyway, so... um. Yeah, I'm, I think dinner's ready. Awesome! Wow. <laughs> this is perfect. We talked. Love, Toby, you know what I love? I love that. Uh, I love that we were, this, we were like, yeah, we'll do an hour. And now we're at two hours and twelve minutes. I'm so happy. This is way overdue. We, so people listening, me and Arthur have been trying to lock this down for like five months, and he's been so yeah. he's been so patient with me about it. He was he was out here, but he had no time I've to do it. I've been patient with you. No, 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 no. Let's be real. You've been patient with me. It's all good, man. You've I been, I know it's gonna happen. No. I knew I knew we were going anywhere. I could find you. Yeah. And the funniest thing is, the funniest thing is, it almost didn't happen today because I I, I was going to get a new phone. Yeah. But I never backed up this phone, so it was going to take over th- like three hours to back it up. So I was like, I, I can't fucking do this. I'm going to buy the phone tomorrow. But this so has that's been, why we. This has been very finally. thorough, man. We covered everything. I think people would be happy with this conversation. We know learned a lot about you today. Um, yeah, man. I'm honored to call you I my friend. I'm happy you, for you, and it was great seeing you a couple weeks ago. And. Um, we're lucky all to be still playing music and you know and uh it's been well long. we'll be playing together we'll be playing together in fucking seven weeks yeah so. and, 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 weeks. and, and you, you just had a birthday you joined the 50 club but you look like you're fucking 30 you can thank veganism and your lifestyle for that 100 percent um and my wife and your wonderful wife who keeps you young and my, yeah because she's yeah because she's amazing <laughs> and she makes me happy and that is nothing to be you can't overstate that, man. Being that, just being happy. That, that's and when a, you have little, yeah. When you have a little comfort, like when you get when you come home and you know, and you can close. You know, you're in your little citadel and the world doesn't exist, and you just you know you're with the people you love, and then you can go to sleep and smile and and not think about like Donald Trump. Yeah, you put, <laughs> you, you posted a cute picture there on your Instagram. It's like you wearing like because you're so you're so little. And I say that in, in a loving way. And you have a little wife beater on your pajama bottoms and your hair is all down. You're at the table. It's so cute. I'm like, you look so oh, peaceful. You yeah, look so peaceful. You're like in your house. You're chilling. Like, it's awesome, man. Like, yeah, and the cat, he, he, that's celery. He's the munchkin cat that we adopted. He's, uh, he's decided that he wants that. He comes to the dinner table now. It's fucking hilarious. And he meows a lot. He's really, he's really chatty and he's really attached to Caitlin. Oh so, like, this is, now, whenever we eat dinner, he just sits there and he like meows at us and wants our food. And we're like, you, you're, 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 no. He, he loves this cat. Loves food. 
more than any any I I I've volunteered at sanctuaries and seen pigs and yeah. pigs don't stop eating. You know how pigs don't stop eating? Yeah. This cat is part pig. He just <laughs> I always tell today I was like when I'm feeding him in the morning, I was like, man, do you understand, Sally? I love you almost as much as you love food. This cat <laughs> is yeah. Anyway, you should follow. Um, right, so, you should follow Gary Holt from Slayer, uh, um, a mutual friend of ours who's vegan now, and he always posts cats on Saturdays, Saturdays. Every Saturday, he posts a cat picture. He's oh, like, I gotta follow him, man. Yeah, I he's. Follow him. I'll send you his link after this. He's awesome. He's another. Um, but listen, we're gonna we're gonna play together. I'm psyched about that. I love you so much. I love you too, um, brother. Oh, do me a favor. When you talk to Craig, ask him about Angry Head. I will. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Thank, I, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your friendship. and uh, I appreciate your patience with me. All good, man. Have a great weekend with your lovely wife and uh, enjoy your dinner. All right. Kiku. Kiku. Peace, bud. Bye. <laughs> Love you, bud. Love you, too. Bye. That was amazing. That was fucking awesome. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, please rate, review, uh, subscribe. If you haven't subscribed yet to this podcast, please do that. And whatever platform you are listening to this on, I'm glad you found me. You can rate me and review me on there also. So thank you guys sincerely for the support. I cannot wait for you guys to the next one.